Monday morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. It's six after. <sighs> New day, Monday. Following the Academy Awards, our own James Birdsall still wiping the Academy Awards out of his eyes this early morning. Yeah, they, they take it out of you. Did you uh, partake? Partake of the Academy Awards? Yes. Actually, this year I didn't come away with one, so I didn't partake of the... <laughs> you weren't nominated? No, that that was a surprise to me. Really? Yeah. Well, wouldn't you need to actually be in the movie industry? Well, you'd think so, but, you know... You could be a seat filler. Yeah. <laughs> they talked I mean, to, talk to many seat fillers oh, last man, night. Oh, man, that'd be a great gig. <laughs> yeah, Dress I didn't up. get an Academy Award for, for watching their movies. Yeah, they, so why would you... Yeah. They need to mass market the Lego Academy Award yeah. they're handing out the Lego Oscar. That that was pretty interesting. You know, that's interesting, except that's just pretty sad. What, a Lego version? If you're, if you're holding the Lego version well, yeah, next to somebody win, with but, the real version. Right. But still, it's Lego. It might be it might be better. Hey, sometimes second isn't bad. It might be worth more. My kids would take that Oscar apart, build a car. Look, an airplane. <laughs> Look, Dad. Well, that was interesting. I did you watch it, Terry? I did. I didn't. Not intently, but it was on the screen in front of me. Yeah. And occasionally I was like, whoa, 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 what's that? And then you watch it and you go, oh, right. Okay. My uh, my mom got a sleep number bed. So if anyone's wondering, I'm a 45. Okay. I spent all night trying to figure it out. <laughs> Just up and down, up and down. Like, no. I could do that or watch the Oscars. It's it's almost equal. It almost is. When I came out, I mean, it's just, come on. Except the sleep number, you have the long-lasting effect. Yeah. And the Oscar, you might get to the end and wonder, why did I just waste all those three hours watching that? Yeah. See, there was a few moments that I did see. Adina Menzel making fun of uh, John Travolta. That was cool. Right. And then he awkwardly grabs her face. That was weird. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. There's some weird people in Hollywood. I don't know if you've noticed that. A little bit. I mean, I don't want to be rude, but... Some of those people are weird. A lot. A lot of those people are weird. And then what's the deal? I mean, it's interesting. Sean knew we were going to have uh, a real big, you know, opening number with Neil Patrick Harris. We knew that. Right. He nailed it. That was cool. That was, yeah. Lady Gaga, for heaven's sakes. Who knew? See, she, and that was. um, She cleans up nice. Well, when she (laughs) takes off the bacon suit, right? (laughs) Or cold cuts or whatever that was. She looks different without a cold cut bacon suit on. But she did that Sound of Music tribute just straight. She just sang the songs. It, yeah. it kind of sounded like it was the movie. It was beautiful. That it was, was. That was cool. You can see the, the range and she didn't have to auto-tune and there wasn't yeah. a driving bass beat behind it, you know? Yeah. It's like, what? Lady yeah. Gaga, what's going on? Yeah, that was neat. That, uh, what was another one? What was another weird moment? Um just at the very end. The fact that I was watching an award show? Yeah, but you really weren't. You were no. listening to I was listening to, your... to some podcasts, and my wife was fast-forwarding through the recording. And Were you listening to our po- our podcast? No, I live our podcast. Oh, good point. Yeah, so. Yeah. And then I recap it after the show. 
Yeah. So by the time I go home, I think I've got a pretty good idea what happened. Yeah. So I listen to other things. Well, I think that's a great way to use your time. Right. My wife doesn't, but yeah. Yeah. We're shopping, and she goes, hey, you need to pick that up. And I just ignore her because I'm listening to a podcast. Mm-hmm. And she gets kind of, you know, mad. <laughs> See, but I'm not into the dress stuff. I'm not no. into that. Come on. The red carpet pre-show? I thought that was weird that Neil Patrick Harris lost his clothes. Well, he was locked out of his 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 uh, dressing room, and the show must go on. So he oh, just ran on the yeah. stage. You he know? got a lot of bad press on that one because yeah. his timing was off. Yes. You can't have... Somebody accepting an award right before that, talking about the loss of her son to a suicide, and then, yeah, you just I don't know, it's timing, you know. But that's half of comedy, it's timing. <laughs> you got to lose your clothes at the right time. That's right. Anyway, that Every, was fun. everything at my house stopped when everything was awesome when that song was performed. My kid was actually watching the Lego Movie. Really, he stopped it and sat there and just stared at him, and he's like, "Whoa!" And then he didn't say a word till <laughs> Batman came on. He goes, "That's Batman." So your son liked a few parts of it. He liked that one part. They knew it back to his movie. He didn't care. Yeah. He's like, what are these people doing? See, interestingly, I'm a 45. There you go. Sleep number. I'm a sleep number. I didn't even know that, but she got one. And 45. I tried 100. I tried 80, 70, 60. Apparently 45 is it. 45 is my number. Is that as low as it goes? No, it goes to zero. Oh, yeah? Zero, you're actually just sleeping on the floor. <laughs> Sometimes I like to sleep on the floor. <laughs> Just kind of straightens the back out. Totally. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. a, one, a 100 mm-hmm. straightens your back out. My it's wife weird. My wife gets concerned. She thinks I rolled out of bed in the night. Really? May have hit my head, so she's concerned I'm hurt. I'm like, no, I'm just laying on the floor. It's no, fine. I'm just on the floor. <laughs> Sleep number zero. It's like, it's all right. I vacuumed <laughs> yesterday. It's good. That's sad. Hey, lots of news, though. Yes. We've got, by the way, a killer guest coming up. FBI spokesperson Todd Palmer is going to be joining us. Agent Palmer. Public affairs public officer affairs or something like that. Guru for Salt Lake City office. Yeah. And SWAT medic, which is a big deal. When you're on the SWAT, the FBI SWAT team, it's a big deal. I got a lot of questions. Like, you know, is he packing heat? He may dodge questions. I'm not going like to ask that, that one. Yeah, I won't even ask it. <laughs> but I'm just going to check. Um He's cool. Okay, so what other headlines we got? Big news. A video claiming to be made by the Al-Qaeda-affiliated Somali militant group, Al-Shabaab. Oh, yeah. Uh, called for an attack against the Mall of America, along with sh- shopping centers in Canada and the UK. Why? Why do they care about our shopping centers? Why not? You want to strike fear into America? Just take it. <laughs> no, I mean, think about it. That's a place where everyone just yeah. goes and gets in their car, drives over there to go shopping. You think and- you're safe? Yeah. Mall of America, the biggest mall... East of the Mississippi, I guess. It used to be the biggest in America. I'm not sure if that's yeah. still the still the uh, the case, but uh, they increased security over the weekend. But mm-hmm. of course, nothing happened. But they have the largest Somali population in the United States. That's in probably Minnesota. what's going on. And Minnesota had ten or twelve Somalis that actually left the country to go over and fight. Reportedly, in they, Syria, they believe, yeah. yeah. So maybe so, that's it. So there, you know, there's some ties there between Somalia and Minnesota. We'll so. ask Agent Palmer about that. Not that specific issue, but you know, all these people leaving and then coming back to America—that's scary. Now we're being threatened. Our malls are at least. Congress returns to work today, so there's that story. Oh, were they not working before? They, they took last week. They took to, it off. I'm not sure what they were doing, but they were off. Uh, the Department of Homeland Security is funding runs out at week's end. Oh boy. And there's no clear solution in sight. This could hamper efforts 
to counter uh, the extremist appeal of the Islamic State. Uh, Respond to emergency aid communities struggling with winter storms right now. They kind of coordinate some of that. This is all Homeland Security. Homeland Security uh, Secretary Jay Johnson said, uh, was talking about this Sunday, they're all the Sunday talk shows, he said that up to 30,000 DHS workers would have to be furloughed if their budgets were cut, including 80% of FEMA workers, which are who kind of respond to disasters. Yeah. Well, this has got to be settled. Luckily, Congress is back on the job. That's right. Now, it's already passed the House. Yeah. The Senate. Waiting for the Senate. Senate, we've always had a little problem. They're hung up on Obama's immigration plans. Uh, So they're kind of using this as a leverage tool. Yes. But they Mm. have until Friday night to uh, secure the budget. Should Should we make a wager when they will actually settle this? I'm saying Thursday. Thursday night. Right. Late. Okay, Thursday. I'm writing that unless, down. unless certain senators get in the way, and then it might be late Friday. Just holding people into the weekend just to make people. Well, angry. these people have to get back home, right? So they don't want to carry it too long. I mean, a lot of us work on Fridays, but they probably just work through Thursday. They've done it before. Then they run out to the microphones and go, "We work the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> we worked a five day work week. We're working for you. <laughs> good, good. Any other news?" Um, I wrote this headline. I thought it was cool. funny. Oh. It says, Fox News anchor under fire, or was he? <laughs> see, see how that works? This is, this, is a, this is like payback for Brian Williams. Yes. Bill O'Reilly doing his best to deflect allegations that he misreported details of a 1982 riot in Argentina. He mm. was in Buenos Aires during the Falklands War. Yes. He has called it a war zone and a combat situation. But former CBS staffers who worked with O'Reilly at that time recall the events a little differently. They don't call it a war zone. They said it was the most cake assignment they've ever done. I think we were actually in in Uruguay, not Buenos Aires. Well, the Falklands are a thousand miles from down at the bottom of the world. Buenos Aires. So there really wasn't the the, the military that was in charge. They wouldn't let the media actually anywhere near where the fighting was happening. So then they never made it to the island. Nobody did. They just stayed in Buenos Aires. But there was protests and things going on in Buenos Aires to cover. Yeah. And uh, he has, I guess, in a book and on the air a couple of times talked about it being a lot more involved yeah. than people remember. Did he come down on Brian Williams pretty hard? I think he might have. It seems to me he, was, he wasn't as uh, excited to do so, it seemed like, as other mm. anchors were. In the sense of, you know, sometimes we exaggerate things. We're yeah. a country of forgiveness. It kind of, I think he may have said, gone that direction yeah. where others have talked about, you know, people need to lose their jobs. And, well, maybe it's, it sounds like it's hunting season for major anchors. Maybe. <laughs> Who will be next? Because why not? You, you take down somebody, you, you get a headline. You know what? I hope nobody comes after me. Really? Is there anything sketchy that you've over-exaggerated about your war reporting? I've never been in a war. What about disasters? Or a disaster. No floods, no hurricanes? No floods, no hurricanes. I did over-exaggerate how many points I scored in high school in a game. That could come back to haunt you. I actually said I scored two. <laughs> over-exaggeration. Wow, well, that's, that's a, that'll be fun to watch. Plus, we'll, we'll talk about it, too. Uh, Ray, Mayor Giuliani, really, he stepped in it. And you know what? You can't. You can't question somebody's patriotism or love of country if they're the president. Honestly, I mean, you can. You have the right. 
but it backfired major. And so he he's actually backing out of that. He he actually said the phrase his uh, his um, bluntness overshadowed my message. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. That's why we need a kinder, gentler language. Which is, again, which is the problem, apparently, with President Obama. He's using a kinder, gentler language. So Giuliani came out and beat him up with a harsher language. Anyway, we'll get to that sometime during the show. But we're going to take a break. When we come back, wonderful guest, Agent Todd Palmer from the FBI here in the Salt Lake City office. He's going to be answering questions, just kind of walking us through what we need to really worry about, what we don't. Are terrorists really coming to blow up our malls? Is that something we should be paying attention to? We'll get into that with Agent Todd Palmer up next right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend here, your uh, guide on the side as we're walking through not just the headlines, but some of the the more local threats that are going on. We, um, you know, over the last few weeks, we've been talking a lot. What we try to do is take the headlines and give you a little bit of a deeper cut, go into each, uh, you know, of the major headlines and see if we can't bring in experts that can walk us through you know, maybe not in detail about every scenario, but give us some some greater depth in understanding what's going on. So we decided who better to do that than Todd Palmer, who is an FBI agent. He spent over 20 years in law enforcement, and um, he has, as an agent, he has worked in the Las Vegas, Nevada field office, the FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C., and the Salt Lake City field office, as well as completing several assignments in the Middle East for the FBI as well. He um, also is a kind of a, a, a spokesperson or a, a public information kind of person for the FBI and uh, has spent much of his career investigating criminal enterprises such as street and prison gangs, large-scale drug, drug traffickers, and he is currently a medic on the SWAT team, which I think is pretty cool. I used to be an EMT myself uh, and um, also was assigned to Public Corruption Squad which primarily investigates civil rights and human trafficking matters. Todd Palmer, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. So great to have you. I mean, it's you're really in an interesting job. It's funny because everybody you know, watches the TV and watches all these great cop shows, so they all know what the FBI can do. But you were just informing me on something really interesting because we hear of Homeland Security, whose funding is now in trouble a little bit this week. We hear of the IRS and they'll be, you know, they do certain investigations, the DEA, drug enforcement, ATF. We hear of the FBI, local police. So, but but the FBI is different in, in kind, but each, each of these agencies are investigative. Help us understand what's the difference. They're, the FBI is the largest federal law enforcement agency in the United States, and we have concurrent jurisdiction with almost every other federal law enforcement agency. In most states, we also have uh, a very limited but also uh, jurisdiction with the local law enforcement. Some states allow us to function as local police officers in those jurisdictions. Uh, we typically work with local law enforcement agencies kind of as a backstop. So if they request some assistance that we might be able to provide them, they're experts in certain areas that we might not be, and we hmm. might be experts in areas that they may not be. Yeah. I noticed I saw when Osama bin Laden was captured and that whole raid went down, an FBI agent was apparently there 
to keep chain of command of the evidence. Is that was that accurate? The FBI has had a concurrent mission with the United States military and the Department of Defense when it comes to investigating large-scale matters that might affect terrorism throughout the world and the United yeah. States. There are some FBI agents that will be assigned to do what they call uh, sensitive site exploitation. They pull evidence out. Uh, our military personnel are experts at what they do, mm -hmm. and we're very, very good at gathering evidence and taking that evidence to find uh, those little factoids that might be necessary to protect that's the United great. States. So as that's a, whole. a forte of the FBI is is information, correct, and and assessment. So um, talk to me about this as as we kind of to have an FBI agent here. I'm sure everybody's out there. They're hearing all of these uh, supposed kind of more homegrown attacks. Um, what happened up in Canada? Uh, and you know you can't talk specific on any of the specifics of any of these, but just other threats like what happened in France, where these homegrown kind of terrorists go away, work in the Middle East, learn to battle, go to war in the Middle East, but then maybe come home and threaten the homeland. We hear that on the radio, on television. Everyone's talking about that. Is that a threat? I mean, are we are we to worry about that? Those are things that we definitely need to be concerned about. The FBI has a national security program. More, most of what the national security program does is look at those types of threats, the threats that are in the United States, that are outside the United States that might impact the U.S. Yeah. We also have domestic terrorist investigators, and they look at those homegrown threats, people here born in the United States that are living here in the United States that may cause harm to our infrastructure, to our businesses, and to our citizens. Yeah, I mean, that's the idea, I guess, when, when um, al-Shabaab is calling an, an, for major attacks on malls of America, on the Mall of America and other shopping centers. I mean, somebody's got to cover that. So you have specific agents that follow that kind of an, a, a lead. Correct. And is it, it is, so it's real. We need to worry about it. Do we as the average citizen need to worry about it, knowing that you're worrying about it? I think it's important for everybody to be aware. We all walk around, uh, myself included, and other people, and, and say, this can't happen here. Yeah. Um, when I look for a place to live as an FBI agent, I'd like to live somewhere where it's great to raise a family and very comfortable in a quiet environment. But at the same time, I think that we need to recognize that um, it can happen here. It can happen anywhere. There is no, there is no laid out plan of this is the perfect opportunity, the perfect place for this to happen. So we as citizens also have to kind of broaden our mindset go about our daily business and do the things that we need to do, understanding that there are very, very good people protecting us and doing the things that they're supposed to be doing. But at the same time, we need to be diligent in our day-to-day -day activities and make sure that we report those things that are concerning to us. And I guess, what are we supposed to look for just as the average citizen? I mean, I guess you don't want to have a false report, but I'm, and I'm sure the FBI is following up on a million reports that maybe don't matter, but it's maybe the one that does matter. What should we look for that would be suspicious that would help? I think the the biggest recommendation that I could make to people is if the, if it causes you concern, then make a phone call. Hmm. It's better to make a phone call and have it looked at and be nothing than not make a phone call at all. We get most of our information, contrary to popular belief, from individuals that call us. So when individuals call 911 and they report something to a dispatcher who then reports it to a police officer, those things get followed up on. They get investigated, and the large majority of crime gets stopped that way. It's not stopped by... Um, great investigators doing wonderful, fabulous right. things. It's stopped by concerned citizens who see something that just doesn't sit right in the communities in which they live. Huh. Is it is is terrorism our dom and I guess domestic kind of terror? It seems like cyber attacks we're more vulnerable to. I think cyber attacks are one of the mis most misunderstood aspects of the criminal realm right now. Well, I talk about that. What do you mean? 
the the amount of damage that can be done through a very simple cyber attack is huge. Uh, the large majority of us are on some kind of technical device every single day, yeah. really not understanding the power of that device that's in our hand, uh, the information that we put into those things. Uh, you would no sooner walk around flashing ten, fifteen thousand dollars out in open public, but you'll sit on a laptop computer, an iPad, telephone, and <laughs> type in all funds. of your banking right. information and do all sorts of things in open public, whether it's on mass transportation or sitting at the mall or in the movie theater. People are on these devices all of the time, putting their entire life yeah. out for someone who has the skill and technical ability to take. That's true. And you think about just the average Joe who has no – they can't even make a strong password <laughs> – Correct. And then the average, you know, f- criminal that's just super skilled at this stealing your password. And and people are at this all the time. When technology advances, criminal behavior advances when it comes in the technology or cyber realm. Yeah, interesting. The people that are perpetrating these crimes are every bit as bright as the individuals that are creating the software to protect the infrastructures. And it, and the power grids and all of these other infrastructures are fairly vulnerable. I, I can't assess vulnerability. Yeah. I can just say that we've got individuals that are that are constantly trying to attack those facilities, and we've got individuals that are constantly trying to protect those facilities. And it's almost like a chess game for mm. a lot of these people. I, I don't know if you heard the, a news story. I'm sure you did uh, about a billion dollar bank robbers get a billion dollars out of banks. They just slowly take five dollars here, twenty dollars here, elevate bank accounts, take funds out. But just simple cyber thieves, the, basically. We get a lot of complaint calls into our office in relation to to uh, that type of crime where through the internet, whether it's uh, an email or some kind of um, a spoofing thing on, on your, your passwords, bank accounts, and they're, they're taking $5 here, $10 there. We have people call us all the time, hey, somebody took $100 out of my bank account. Well, the large majority of people don't look at their bank accounts every day. And if they're missing $2, $3, $4, but if somebody does that on a very large scale to five, six, seven hundred people a day, Ugh. that dollar amount accumulates huge. And if you see that $2 are missing from your bank account, mm-hmm. really, you're probably not going to spend a whole lot of time going back to your bank to try to ascertain where that money went. Yeah. So these types of crimes do happen. And it's very important that we take a hard look at at our online banking yeah. um, and all of our computer-related issues and make sure that we're on top of those things because if there is something that causes you concern, you can get that rectified by calling the companies. But you should be aware of what's going on because that will help you understand if somebody might have accessed the systems that you're trying to control. It is. It's such a simple – just watch the small numbers, just the little things – add up to be very big things. Let's take a break. We're talking with Todd Palmer, who is an agent with the FBI here in the Salt Lake City office and is the information officer for them in this area. We will come back. When we come back, I want to ask uh, Todd about the mafia. Now, it used to be they were the big threat, but it sounds like in a way, maybe they're not in the game anymore. Maybe they've been outplayed by all of the cyber thieves and the, the domestic terrorists and everybody else. We'll pick his brain on that. When we come back, Agent Todd Palmer from the FBI right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Awesome uh, topic right now. We have uh, FBI agent Todd Palmer is here. He's the information officer for the Salt Lake City um, field office. Has been in, uh, you know, 
investigations, police work for 20 plus years as an in law enforcement officer has served in Las Vegas, Nevada. When you think about that, just the potential historic mafia ties to the Vegas kind of crime scene and world. He he started out there with the FBI, went to D.C. as well, also served in the Middle East, had some assignments in the Middle East as well. So the cool thing about the FBI, um, they're, they're pretty much into everything. It seems like at least some part of their of their system is into that. Now, I wanted to ask I wanted to ask Todd Palmer about uh, first of all, welcome back, Todd. Thank you. About the mafia. We always, you know, back in the day when I was growing up, that was the story. Always chasing Capone kind of guys, always chasing the mafia. Uh, are they still around? Certainly they're still around, mostly in the major metropolitan areas, but they still exist and there are still prosecutions against them going on today. Yeah. But I guess part of this, what you're telling me and we were talking off air a little bit is it's almost it's regional, isn't it? Every region kind of has their own specific niche kind of crime. The FBI will take its time and and look at, they call it, um, not to get technical, I guess, but the the area of responsibility. Uh So each field office will look at their area of responsibility and try to pick out the crime threats that are are most prevalent in that particular area. And then they rank them and try to put their resources towards the crime problems, again, that are most prevalent in the area that they're responsible Mm -hmm. for. So one crime in, in Salt Lake City, for example, uh, may be completely different than a crime in New York City. It's yeah. Because I guess, I mean, like, yeah, if you don't have huge union kind of event or groups, if you don't have, um, like in Utah, we're not a unionized state. There's not a view, lot of union kind of work going on here. But there are a lot of, I guess, more affinity crimes, just crimes where people, you know, who are close in a church might commit crime against other people who are in the church, embezzle, steal money, whatever. Correct. So that's an affinity crime. Um, what are some other kind of regional types of crimes? Um, drugs, of course, is a national problem, but you'll see certain types of drugs in certain communities that you wouldn't see in other ones. Yeah. Um, that's kind of uh, becoming a, a gray area, which we used to see as inner city drugs have moved themselves to areas uh, where you typically wouldn't have, have expected it to be. Um, heroin, for example, is a very high uh, or very prevalent drug in the Salt Lake area. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. And then, uh, I mean, all the meth labs. So you work with the DEA and share intelligence. And then sometimes I guess you have to help each other based on what you're learning. Correct. What about, um, I guess, is the threat, I'm assuming, from the Mexican kind of cartels? Are we still seeing a lot of a lot of push from Mexico and drugs up into the United States? Absolutely. Still, because I have a son in northern Mexico, um, just wondering about that. But you saw the Coca Cola thing. Coca Cola may pull all of its bottlers or whatever out of the northern Mexican, you know, provinces because they've been, I guess, kidnapping Coca Cola. I, I, I did. I did see mention of that. There are uh, in foreign countries, and this is one another violation that the FBI does investigate: is any crime against a U.S. citizen mm. in a foreign country. The FBI has legal attaches in almost every country um, outside the United States. And we do liaison work with local law enforcement agencies there. So if a U.S. citizen might be kidnapped or murdered in a foreign country, the FBI will have bodies there to assist them in those investigations and also be able to provide information back here to the U.S. so we can provide that to the families of the victims. Do you, do you feel like since 9-11, we've, it just seems like we have to have so much information coming in? Do you feel like it's all being integrated pretty well? Are we, are we all talking better than ever? 
I would say yes. Uh, we're doing a much better job than we did prior to 9-11. We did a very, very good job then. Yeah. Uh, but now we're working together. We have more task forces, and I think that we understand the crime problem a little bit better. Uh, we have experts in various areas that we might not have had experts in prior to 9-11. Hmm. I mean, it's uh, another one that we've heard a lot of in the news are public corruption cases, like the Virginia governor and his wife. Now they're going to prison. You Are you seeing more public corruption type of crimes? I think we're uh, – uh, We've always been very aggressive in trying to look into public corruption matters. I think we're doing a better job of it now. We mm-hmm. have a better um, understanding of how it affects society in general. Um, I think the overall consensus in the public is that we as public officials should be held accountable for our actions uh, to include law enforcement as well as uh, elected public officials. So that's one of our missions and we're going to spend a lot of time and energy making sure that – People that make mistakes, commit crimes, are held accountable for those types of behaviors. I mean, it's it really is. You you are into everything, really. I guess every crime that crosses a line, a state line, is a potential FBI case. It could be. We try to look for an interstate nexus in a lot of the crime, criminal statutes that are out there. We investigate all matters of federal law. So, uh, if it's enumerated in the federal code book, we probably have an individual that investigates that particular violation. Hmm. Is is um, I know civil rights has been a really big issue when we talk about Ferguson and all that went down in Ferguson. Um, we'll talk about the civil rights kind of cases that you're that are out there and what what's your responsibility there? The FBI is a, a kind of a unique monster in that area. We're the only federal law enforcement agency that actually is by code uh, regulated to investigate law enforcement officers, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the current community fervor is, is law enforcement related when right. it comes to civil rights matters. So the FBI has a couple of statutes that we utilize when investigating, investigating law enforcement brutality type situations. We also investigate hate crimes. Most states don't have um, hate crimes laws. They have hate crimes enhancements. So somebody commits an assault against an individual because of what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, there could be an enhancement associated with that assault. So they have a normal assault charge and then an enhancement Correct. because of a hate crime. Correct. But in the federal government, we actually have hate crimes laws that we do investigate, and they're very, very specific. One of them is called the Matthew Shepard Act. It's a very interesting, very well-written uh, law. Uh, it's very broad in nature. Um, but what people, I think, misunderstand about what it is that the FBI does when we investigate, whether it's law enforcement officers, public officials, or hate crimes, most of the statutes that we utilize are what we call specific intent statutes, meaning that the burden of proof is very, very high. We have to be able to prove that the individual that committed the act did so with intent, mm-hmm. with intent to, divide, to deprive someone of a enumerated civil liberty. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. That seems like a really high burden. It is. Of proof. It is very high. It's very difficult. Um, Most of what we do, let's say, go back to the law enforcement arena. Um, When we investigate a a law enforcement matter, we're utilizing a multitude of case law that's already been set by the Supreme Court. One of the cases that we utilize when we assess reasonableness, for example, is a case called Graham versus Connor. It came out, I believe, somewhere about 1989. And the Supreme Court essentially said, here's the reasonableness standard that we're going to utilize when we assess law enforcement use of force. Hmm. Um, And we use that. We look at that. Is it reasonable? Uh, It isn't what Todd Palmer thinks. It isn't what uh, individual on the street thinks. It's what has the Supreme Court set as a standard. And the large majority of citizens out there don't understand that these types of of cases have already been adjudicated and case law has been set by the United States Supreme Court. The activities and actions of, of law enforcement agencies are based on those rulings. 
Do we have more? Do we have more civil rights cases now than ever? Um, and what would lead to that? I, I don't know if we have more civil rights cases now than ever. I think because of the way the media portrays most cases now, there's a lot of dialogue and discussion about yeah. these types of things. So I think that's good. I think the awareness of these types of events are is out there and it's in the forefront. But there are also um, there needs to be a very good balance between what what is actually going on, what is it that law enforcement is doing, and what the standards are. Does, does it end up being um, is it political at all? I mean, I, I assume you know if you have a certain head of a of a justice department, do they push different agendas, and does that just different agenda end up impacting the FBI differently? The neat thing about the FBI is the FBI pretty much operates autonomously from every other entity out That's there. Nice. Um, our directors uh, are appointed, but they are essentially there for 10 years. Oh, really? Uh, director Mueller uh, yeah. was able to extend by two years. Um, he's the first FBI director that was ever, ever able to do that. But after Mr. Hoover um, left the FBI, um, all of the other directors have had a 10-year term limit. And it's supposed to be nice. autonomous from yeah. all other agencies. So we're able to operate and do the things that we need to do without a lot of outside political pressure. Yeah. In a way, we, we'd thank you because it's something that's constant. That's You know what I mean? Finally, we have something that's come more constant, especially, I guess, when it comes to the need to investigate, you know, to know that it's not always politically driven is important. What do we need to know? Just as the average citizen, as we kind of wrap this up, are there things we should be doing better? Are there things that we could be doing to make sure we are safer in all these areas we've been talking about? I yeah. Um, one of the things that I, I think that, that we need to do better as a society is we need to educate ourselves on what our rights are. Uh, we live in a community of laws and rules. And a lot of times uh, we as citizens, we get upset at things we don't necessarily understand. Yeah, We in law enforcement and also in the government need to do a better job at educating individuals of, number one, what their rights are, but the associated responsibility attached to each right. It seems like over my 20-year career in law enforcement that people have have continually tried to absolve themselves of a responsibility for their behaviors and actions. Right. And we live in an incredible country with a multitude of freedoms, but each one of those freedoms has an associated responsibility attached to it. And a lot of times individuals will, will talk about what their rights and freedoms are without discussing or enumerating what their specific responsibilities yeah, right. are. And so we in government should do a much better job at educating individuals what their rights are but what associated responsibilities they have tied into those rights. And conversely, individuals need to do a better job at educating themselves on what their rights are and what the responsibilities associated with and those rights it. are. They have to own it. They do. And they need to be held responsible. And we all need to do a much better job at holding our own selves responsible for our day-to-day -day activities. Because what I might consider freedom of speech, freedom of religion, those types of things um, might be somewhat offensive to other people. Mm -hmm. Now, we live in a country where it's my right to have those freedoms. But at the same time, I need to assess what it is that I'm doing and how I'm behaving and own the responsibility of my actions if I'm offending another person. That's true. And be able to have a conscious uh, civil dialogue about those types of issues to evoke the changes that might need to come to create a more civil society. That's true. You may have the right to say something, but it doesn't mean it's helpful. <laughs> And it doesn't mean that it's going to make others feel safer. Correct. That's powerful. Well, we appreciate you, Todd. Really, it's you're on the front lines. It's I just as in, in between the breaks, I would ask Todd a million questions, and he can't get into any specifics. But the guy knows a ton, and um, and knows a ton about every a lot of the stories you hear about, and yet 
can't tell everything, and none of us really know it all. So I appreciate you being willing to at least work on that lack of ability to maybe share all the detail and know too much and then still have a happy face. Um, appreciate you, Todd. Todd Palmer again here with the uh, Salt Lake City field office um, with the FBI. Cool stuff. Appreciate you. You bet. Thank you very much. Really great stuff. We're going to have to have Todd back and have him talk more general about a lot of stuff. Guys, there's a lot going on. And luckily, we have guys like Todd on the case. We're going to take a break. Be thinking, do you have somebody that you care about who is uh, suffering adult onset diabetes? We've got a great guest. Richard DeMarchi is going to be joining us. Uh, Richard DeMarchi is going to be teaching us a little bit more about what to look for uh, when it comes to adult onset of diabetes and what uh, we should be doing about it. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Todd Palmer, man. Agent Palmer from the FBI. Good, good hair on that guy. Yeah. It was a good hairdo. He had Mitt Romney hair. He had a good suit, too. He Dapper, but, you know, here's the deal. Very sharp. He, these guys are underappreciated major. That's like the stuff he knows that he couldn't say. It's crazy. I'd ask. I asked about twenty questions in every break. I just pepper him with questions, and he'd just smile and say, "Yep, we're on that one." And I'm like, "Mm-hmm." And, and <laughs> nothing. He's good at what he does, and yet I sit there and I think he he get you know the FBI probably it's a weird job because the you know all the other agencies probably don't necessarily love him. Because they're the ones that get all the credit. But even though they don't get all the credit. Well, they're also the agency that gets called in when your local agency needs some assistance. Yeah, to investigate. So the local agency has to admit that. And some people are okay with that because they want to get the job done. Other people, it's kind of an ego hit. And and so that's the question is who – because we're on a campus. Who would want to go be an FBI agent, you would think? Because like – like he was saying, he he can't he can't have his his credibility questioned at all. So if he ever got caught lying, doing something stupid, anything, just even like not paying child support or whatever, he wouldn't he he couldn't you know testify in court cases. He just would never be used to testify in a court case again. And yet, that standard is only for a certain level of police law enforcement. That doesn't exist with our pol- our political system. That doesn't exist anywhere else. I mean, our, our politicians can all be caught in a lie, and yet we're still electing them. Right. But an FBI agent has to have the highest standard. It's kind of a weird <sighs> system. It's a it's a very weird system. And then we don't appreciate them. And no. But I'm telling you, and we've been harping on this idea forever. If we keep making everything so hard for the jobs that we need to have, like an FBI agent. Uh, we're in trouble because what happens if we start lowering that standard? I mean, his standard is so high, and his 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 discipline was so incredible. That's what I thought was cool. Because you, yeah. you ask a question, he's like, um, yeah. and then he's trying to verbally, you yep. know, jujitsu his way through that, and what a that guy. was nice. 
That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, James, are you still do you still want to be a, an FBI agent after seeing Todd Palmer? I'd say so. Because you always wear that little jacket that says FBI on the back. Yeah. Yep. Yep. One day it will be a real jacket. And yeah. It'll be great. Actually, yours doesn't say FBI. Yours just says FB and then the Facebook sign. Mm-hmm. So yours yeah, is really just a Facebook jacket. It's not really the you have same to thing at all. Earn your eye. That's yeah. that's what I go for. You put the eye in the FB. Hey, uh, any other headlines for us, Terry? When we before we take this break, we were going to get into uh, on, uh, adult onset of diabetes, and our guest, you know, I think he forgot. We'll get him back. We'll get him back. That's an issue that uh, hits a lot of people's lives, and yeah, we'll, we'll be able to talk with him in the future. North Korea. <gasps> They are prohibiting foreigners from running in their annual marathon. Why? Fears of Ebola. <laughs> There's never been an Ebola case in North Korea. No, no. And the surrounding region, there are no reports of Ebola being there, but no foreigner can run in their marathon over fears okay, of Ebola. Uh, okay. Um, that's weird. Yes. Because but if, it is North if, Korea. So. If you had Ebola, would your first thought be, ah, going to north korea to run that marathon there's the idea that you know if you are exposed to it yeah you don't know for several days you can be contagious but you know do you go from and from helping out volunteering helping save people with ebola (laughs) to running a marathon the next day probably not you have different priorities in your life i think let's be real they don't want to have a marathon no they do they don't want to they're just i i think there's there's a need to keep it in-house. They want a, a person from North Korea to win it. I think what they ought to do, have you seen Kim Jong-un's... New hair? New, new hair and eyebrows? Yeah. I didn't really notice it being different. Have either. you ever gone to get a haircut and you thought, oh, wow, wow, they overdid it? Like, oh, wow, that'll grow out. Oh, yeah. well. <laughs> I think that's what this is about. He didn't want... Did he get bad hair and he's trying to deflect the yeah. attention? Okay. He's like, he, he, did, he was embarrassed. He's got to run in the marathon. He doesn't want a lot of foreigners coming in. That's um, that's sad. Well, that's too bad for the two people that were going to run the North Korean uh, marathon. The Pyongyang Marathon, yes. <laughs> yeah. I think I think it's more about his haircut. I mean, I don't want to. Allegedly. Allegedly. We're going to take a break, my friends. We had a great uh, show. Another two hours of fun and excitement right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back right after this break. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this program to uh, to not just inform you, but uh, to inform you at deeper levels. So you have real tangible takeaways so you can start to change your own life. You know, we could wait forever for D.C. to change our lives or, you know, your local capital to change your life. But you know what? Instead... Let's get it back in your hands. Today, we've got a great show for you. It's 7 after the hour. Everybody's in the house. Terry's here. James is here. James is still engaged. A little engagement update. You are still engaged. Still you engaged. You didn't ruin it? No. Okay, not good. yet. 
engagement update. Uh, she still thinks you're fantastic. Yes. Uh, How do you keep that that facade going? <laughs> it's difficult. Let okay. me tell you. No, but we've had to tell this engagement story about 500 times over the past few days. Have so you? yeah, and it'll keep going. Are you are you changing it? Are you adding to it and? Embellishing it? Well, actually, I've gone the other direction. I've, it's a uh, fishing story now. Yeah. It's seven feet long. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, so I, I've just shortened it mostly. It's like, oh, yeah, we went on a walk. I put the ring on her finger. She said yes, you know, so that's it. Mm. Romantic. Yeah. Well, no, it is. So I let her t- tell the detailed story. Yeah, they're, they're better at it. They're gushing. You're like, oh, it's over, whatever. Yeah. That's, I think that's fantastic that that's you're great. engaged. Yeah. And again, grateful we could do that for you. Yeah, that was all you. I give grateful that the show was able to deliver the that. Matt Towson effect. Yeah, as we call MTE. it, MTE. No, yep. Hashtag. Yep. That's why we're here. BYU basketball. Yeah. BYU sports in general. Right. All sports. I didn't want. I didn't mean to limit you there. Yeah. I mean, hello, <laughs> hello. Well, uh, we got a great show. I, I, I'm still hyped up from our last guest, Agent Palmer. By the way, Agent Palmer is probably – isn't that the name of a real, like, CSI show, Agent Palmer? I don't know. Probably. NCIS. Is that NCIS? Yeah, I believe so. Palmer. Agent Palmer. What a cool guy. Hey, um, he any headlines? Like a, yes, there are grundles. Hey, there's a bunch of news going on I've been noticing. I've been reading it all. The U.S. and Iran are working on a deal that would permit Tehran to eventually continue its nuclear program. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Just saw that one come across the wires. I thought we were trying to get them to stop their nuclear program. Yeah. Apparently, they were negotiating. The U.S. wanted 20 years, just just stop for 20 years. Iran's like, no, let's do 10. Okay. So now they're trying to barter. So we've thrown the nuclear problem down the street about 10 years. (laughs) So (laughs) kicking the can, yes. The possible (laughs) agreement would necessitate that Iran freeze its program at first, but it then would be permitted to step up any development later on down the road. Excellent. So we've got them. This is a proposal. Yes. It's on the table. It says uh, both sides are meeting for the third consecutive day today. Uh, They want to have something done by March. Yeah. This is some of the developments. Beware the Ides of March. Right. That has nothing to do with it. But yes. For any (laughs) Caesar. Good rule of thumb. Beware the Ides. So yeah, that could be a a thing in the future. That's good. Good to Uh, know. We're making progress. Last week we talked about the ports in California, Oregon, along the West Coast. Are they they open yet? They opened over the weekend. So they're they're coming back to life as they're slowly trying to work through the blog or blog the the clog of uh, uh, ships. You seen the 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 pictures of all those cargo ships just kind of hanging out in the ocean waiting, and it looks like the Coast Guard's trying to play uh, traffic cop. Is there? Yeah, it looks like spring break, like it's um, in the bayou. (laughs) You're looking for water skiers. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, But a nine month labor dispute uh, ended. Tentatively, over a conference call, they announced it. Nothing's been signed. It's a freeze. Is it a freeze? And they've agreed to deal with it ten years down the road. No, there has there, there's an agreement. They have to drop the papers. There needs to be a vote. Yeah. So there's the next few weeks. Usually by this point, when when the uh, leaders agree to it, they go back tell their members, and they just they kind of go along with it because mm. they've they've reached an agreement that they can all work with. Um, there are 29 ports from yeah. San Diego to Seattle. Billions of dollars of backup. They handle a quarter of all U.S. international trade. Yeah, this is one we That's had a big to fix. deal. Glad that they were on it. Lots of oranges rotting in California. Uh, that's not good. 
Yeah, because it's the Chinese New Year. And that, they that, needed, yeah, they, they needed, needed the oranges the because oranges. their stockings need to have a nice toe. You drop, wait, yeah. that's a different thing. But that's still, different. they like oranges. But so that's good. So China, if you're listening, which we know you are. Of course. We're worldwide here. The oranges are on their way. You're, the oranges are coming. The New Year, the, the well, Chinese New Year has, there's hope. And, and and really, it's a good thing there wasn't, say, another iPhone that was supposed to come out yeah. during this period of time because they'd all be on these ships exactly right. waiting to enter the country. So disaster so, averted. But again, if that were the case, Apple would not have allowed. No, they would, they'd start flying them. And yeah, it's they fine. Would, Apple would have just solved the entire. Here's a billion. Can we buy your fleet of cargo planes? Thanks. That's the problem. The, 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 the orange makers the orange what do they call them uh, growers produ- growers farmers? the orange there's got to be an association oranges of america oranges of america united yeah. they don't have the same pull as apple right anyway but right. by the way not no pun intended oranges <laughs> and apples but delivered well <laughs> apples and oranges <laughs> uh oil trains <sighs> oil trains trains Hauling oil. Last yes. week, a train derailed in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Dozens of cars carrying crude oil up the tracks. 19 caught fire. They burned for like four days. Oh, man. Hundreds of families evacuated. Two water treatment plants were shut down. Yeah. U.S. transportation officials predict many more catastrophic wrecks involving flammable fuels unless new regulations are put in effect. Uh, they predict the locomotives will derail 10 times annually on average over the next two decades. Well, that just sounds like a scare attack. And other stories I've been reading is uh, a lot of the uh, cargo containers, the oil-carrying uh, cars that are, are, are all part of these trains are very old, built, old, in, built in the 60s. Tired. They're not built to uh, contain the type of flammability that mm-hmm. this oil has, the flashpoint and all that kind of stuff. So there can be some uh, big disasters. There are reports at West Virginia fire that uh, – it was like an earthquake, people feeling the heat of the fire like a half mile away. Oh, wow. Large 30,000 gallons of crude oil in each one of these tankers. See, I think, I think this over. is making the point for the XL pipeline. That's what, This is why we don't it. need trains and tankers anymore, pipelines. That's the other side of the argument is that with the pipeline, you don't have to ship them over rails anymore. See, I, but I, I think we, there's an accident and then somebody takes advantage of that to just scare everybody. This is just one. We'll have one of these a week. Well, at the same time, there was an accident up in uh, Canada a couple of years ago. Yeah. Leveled half the town, killed 47 people, five people Crazy. never found. Yes. So this, this is, this is, and maybe these are just rolling through the backyards of America. Which so. is why, can I just, I don't want to just keep bringing this up, which is why Apple needs to make a car that doesn't run on any fuels. There you go. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to put pressure. I mean, I know a lot of companies are trying to have electric cars, but, you know. I have a story about another one today. Yeah, we'll talk about it later. Excellent, man. Have we got a show for you? Here's the deal in the in the show we have I think over the last two weeks we've covered prisons, we've covered um, we've talked to wardens, we've talked to uh, you know the overcrowding of the prisons, and interestingly we may be uh, opening up a whole new topic that may actually help us decrowd, if that's the word, thin out a little bit of the prison population by placing people where they need to be. We had a a warden on the other day that was talking to us about if we just would treat people that are arrested for drugs, treat them 
for their drug issues, not necessarily just as major criminals, then it might impact the population. Well, long story short, here in Utah, there was a, a poll that was just done about um, the you know lessening or, or uh, softening the penalties for drug-related charges. And we're going to be talking about that. When we come back, uh, uh, Anna Browser is going to join us from the ACLU, the, the Utah kind of office of the ACLU. She's going to be talking about what would happen if we actually kind of minimize some of the, uh, the sentences, making it less harsh of a sentence for somebody that is, that is arrested for a drug-related charge, lessening the penalties a little bit. The power of that, which is so interesting because it's coming out of Utah, by the way, that has one of the most conservative audiences ever. And yet even the most conservatives, one of the most conservative states is starting to say it's about time. It's about time that we punish drug users differently, that we get them help. Maybe we'll talk about that when we come back with Anna Browser from the ACLU. You're listening to the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, this idea of uh, crime, criminals, and, and the criminalization of the drug um, war, is, it's, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting dynamic. You know, we want to protect our family from, from drugs and, um, and the sell of drugs and the use of drugs in our communities. And at the same time, we also uh, are... are driving up costs for prisons, not necessarily improving recidivism rates. And we've been talking about this for weeks now here on the show. But we finally found a a really crazy, I think, interesting angle that we I think everybody out there is more uh, is kind of is kind of leaning this way. In a recent poll of 551 registered Utah voters, it reveals that a strong majority favor less punitive ways of dealing with drug use and drug possession in Utah. And um, what the idea behind this is, is what if we could just lessen the sentencing, be less punitive and take it from a felony to a class A misdemeanor? Um, what would happen? Nearly 60 percent, 58 percent of respondents indicated that they support reducing the penalty for possessing a small amount of drugs such as heroin, cocaine or meth for personal use from a felony crime to a class A misdemeanor. Only about one third, 34 percent, said they opposed this change. Eight percent were unsure. Again, it's been proposed by many of our guests over the last few weeks that we've got to start handling the drug issue differently not just necessarily always criminalizing it. One reason being there's a lot of people with mental illnesses such as PTSD, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, or severe depression that also have these serious drug problems, and it's co-occurring with a mental illness. So this isn't just a criminal issue. It's it's a human issue, and that's one of the reasons we wanted to address it on the show. But with this recent polling, we, we wanted to get some insight into, into what this bill is about a little bit and, and kind of the impact of it. So to help us understand it is a member of the ACLU, 
the American Civil Liberties Union. Anna Brower is a public policy advocate for the ACLU of Utah, and she's working specifically on these criminal, uh, these related issues that are related to the criminal justice system. She's Utah native, born, raised in Salt Lake City, holds a BA in journalism from the University of Denver and an MPA from the University of Utah. She has been with the ACLU since 2007. Anna, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, Matt. Thanks. It's a real honor. Both my parents are BYU alums. Are they? It's really fun to be on your network. How awesome. Well, and we're so glad to have you. This study, it's pretty surprising. I mean, Utah's a very conservative state. We probably have some of the strictest kind of alcohol laws in probably the the galaxy. Um, (laughs) But talk to us about this. Talk to us about this new study. Well, one of the things I keep hearing from the analysts that are from the Pew Public Safety Performance Project, these are the the folks who came in to help the state of Utah evaluate what was going on in its prison system. The one thing that they said that they were really impressed about in Utah was that there was a real appreciation by the general public, by lawmakers, by public administrators that... um, the treatment was really the need here, and there was a lot of willingness to forgive people for the activities that they had taken part in and get them the help that they mm. need. And and talking to substance abuse treatment providers, the stories that they tell, I mean, they're people that we know, right? So your daughter or your uncle or your visiting teacher, heroin addiction sounds so dramatic unless you consider how realistic it is to know someone who gets addicted to it after being on OxyContin that they were prescribed for back surgery or work injury. So I think they're, you know, before we did this poll with these fellow organizations, I think we suspected because of what we were hearing from people that we would get a pretty good response. And I was really, I was really glad to see that that was confirmed. Oh, that's great. And I mean, so it's almost like we're, we're becoming more compassionate to it. I guess it's, it's more impacting our lives, our family, our brothers, our sisters are seeing it and, and are experiencing it. I think that's it. And you know, when you, when you see substance abuse destroy somebody's life and your family, I mean, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. The, it's, it's devastating, and, you know, it's a real crisis. But I think what people are coming to understand is it might, it might actually be a public health crisis and not so much a criminal justice crisis. Yeah. And they're just, we don't have to solve every problem the most complicated, expensive <laughs> way. <laughs> what? Can... <laughs> that's so true. I know that's what the government loves yeah. to do, but, but you can get people help, and they will be motivated to get help. And, and they're in their community. I, I think you're right on. And it, tell me why the ACLU um, is so is so behind it and on board. Historically, I mean, what was were civil liberties being? I, I guess the criminalization of drugs were yeah. were probably taking away rights. Right. So there are a lot of aspects of it, and I could you know go through the whole history of how the drug war has devastated certain communities more than others, but where it's brought us today, our, our past work on this issue, is a recognition that I know most Americans would be uncomfortable realizing that they have this in common with the ACLU, but recognizing yeah. that mass incarceration is a real problem. One in 100 people in America are incarcerated, and one in 31 Americans is under government supervision of some kind, mm. in jail, in prison, probation, and parole. And so we are really committed right now as an organization nationally and in Utah to make sure that 
we don't have more people in prison than need to be. There's no bigger right. deprivation of liberty than actually taking somebody out of their life, out of their community, and over a, a substance abuse problem, over an addiction. Um, it, just increasingly, it doesn't it doesn't make sense in terms of the government intervention. In, in um, the government government intervention is yeah. way out of proportion. Well, it seems like yeah, and and we're I, I think we're seeing. There's a lot of mental health issues that aren't being addressed, and then we, I guess we try to address them after there's a major breakdown, ma- major shootings somewhere, and we realize, yeah, mental health issues are there, too. I mean, there's got to be a more holistic solution than just criminalization, incarceration, and then, you know, everybody reacting and, and, and having the same problem over and over. Well, that's exactly right, and I think it's the idea of, you know— you don't even have to necessarily feel like, oh, we need to be more compassionate to these poor people with mental illness or with drug abuse problems. You can simply be a taxpayer who is really annoyed at wasted money. Yeah. So <laughs> talk about that because this, I mean, changing changing some of the sentencing laws would probably save a lot of money, wouldn't it? That's that is definitely the prediction. I can guarantee you would be hard pressed to find a more expensive, dangerous way to give people substance abuse treatment <laughs> than to send them to prison for right. it. So, so the estimates I've heard from our colleagues in the recovery community and also people in the corrections industry, you know, people who work at our prison and who work on probation and parole, um, you know, it costs about $33,000, somewhere between thirty and $33,000 to incarcerate somebody for a year. Wow. You can give a person community-based treatment with supervision for the criminal aspects of their behavior for a year for less than half that. Yeah. Um, and I think just when you think of not just the money you save, but the problems you create, like every every dollar you spend on keeping somebody in prison is also a dollar of restitution that they're not paying to their victims. It's money that they're not making for their families. It's another day that they're not putting their life back together and changing their behaviors. Um, so I think it's just, it, it's really hard to quantify that stuff, but it really adds up. But it's just, we've gotten to this point where it's really devastating for our, for our church communities when everybody starts to know someone who's been involved with the criminal justice system. It seems like, yeah, treating them in the community even with, you know, drug courts and, and still having strong follow-up, but treating them in the community keeps yeah. these people in the community where all of the other resources are, where everything else they need, instead of locked behind a wall, and then we let them out to the community and they don't function, they don't play well there? That's a, that's a really good way of putting it. And I think one of the things that we forget is, I mean, let's be honest, there are reasons that we have prison, there are reasons that we have jail, there are people who are a serious threat to public safety, right. that engage in behaviors that do not play well with others. Um, and one of, one of the things that the research in criminal justice and corrections over the last several decades has shown very strongly is when you take, you know, your average dental assistant or um, stay-at-home mom or working computer technician who has a problem with drugs, and you incarcerate them with someone who has a problem with murder. Yeah, <laughs> it's not 
Not a good you combination. Know, no, it's not good for the murder guy. He doesn't get any benefit from being with a low-risk offender. But the low-risk offender, in order to survive with the high-risk offender, yeah, they don't return to their families and communities in very good shape. And then it just takes even more oh. to get them back. Yeah, and then I guess, you know, after, what, 30, 40 years of this, we, we're now surprised. <laughs> well, like, <I> wow! <laughs> what is the deal? It's interesting. It's well, uh-huh. you know, the, the system kind of gets in in a habit, and it moves in a direction, and there's a sort of inertia when careers and professions yeah. and systems build up in a certain way. And so, I mean, there's no doubt about it. The kind of changes that are being proposed with this criminal justice reform sponsored by um, Representative Eric Hutchings in Utah and uh, Senator Stuart Adams it's going to be hard to implement. We've been moving in a certain direction for 35 years. It's going to be tough, but that doesn't mean it's not the right thing to do yeah. for the people who are involved in the system. Oh, man, it's it's a good discussion. Well, let's take a break, Anna. We're, with, we're talking with Anna Brower, uh, who's a member of the ACLU, American Civil Liberties Union, uh, here in Utah. She is a public policy advocate discussing this new criminal justice reform uh, proposal that's in the Utah State Legislature right now. Let's take a break. We'll come back, continue this discussion with her. By the way, the simple irony that that what Anna was just describing is how we've created a system that is now addicted to this way we do this. And somehow we have to get the system, the government, the whole judicial process to, to change, to no longer be addicted. On the topic of addiction, wild. Oh, the ironies. We'll take a break, my friends, and come back more with Anna Brower from the ACLU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. friends to the Matt Townsend show. Right now we are on the phone with Anna Brower from the ACLU. Anna is a public policy advocate for the ACLU and she's working specifically on issues related to the criminal justice system. Uh, specifically today, um, a poll that came out that talked about about 60% of Utahns are now more supportive of um, less punitive sentencing for people with drug-related crimes, something the ACLU has been fighting about, fighting for for a long time, and uh, so we wanted Anna here to uh, to pick her brain on this whole issue. Anna, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks so much, Matt. Don't mean to uh, picking your brain sounds quite violent, <laughs> but but teach us. This is, I mean, it's I, I could just hear some people out there thinking, "Oh, here we go. This is the beginning of the end." Once we start loosening the drugs, then everything else is going to follow. What would you say to them? Well, um, that's, that's a really great, uh, great introduction. I think it is, um, it's, it's a fear that people have, but it's, I'm, I'm pleased to reassure your listeners that this kind of reform is really, it's bipartisan. There's support from the left and right. There, you know, Senator Mike Lee just introduced uh, legislation at the federal level to do smarter sentencing reform. 
this is definitely not radical stuff. Yeah. We've looked, and we've looked at the ACLU recently with some of our partners nationally to look at, okay, there are a dozen other states at least that process drug convictions as misdemeanors. And the federal government does this now as well. For the same reasons everybody else does, just doesn't make sense financially and in terms of treatment to to process drug crimes as felonies. So we looked at the data, you know, there doesn't seem to be, there's no pattern in terms of if a state has lower penalties for drug crimes, that they'll have more drug use. That's not true. Hmm. There is, there's no pattern that if a state charges drug possession as a misdemeanor instead of a felony that people don't get treatment. That's also not true. Um, There's not more crime necessarily in in states where these simple drug possession charges are dealt with as misdemeanors than felonies. So um, I had a prosecutor tell me in a meeting once, "This, this is basically legalization, which I would say it would be great from the ACLU's perspective. Yeah, if you're going to swing that way, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. But it is nowhere near that. For a Class A misdemeanor, so your um, maybe your niece who has OxyContin for her ACL surgery, if she gives some of that OxyContin to a friend of hers, because that's what teenagers do, mm-hmm. um, you know, if, if she's convicted of a Class A misdemeanor for that, she could still spend up to a year in jail and pay over $2,000 in fines. I mean, this is not letting anyone off the hook, and I guarantee that would wake your niece up you bet. really fast. But pl- <laughs> you know, get- oh, I was Sorry, just going to say, plus I'm thinking you're, if um, all of a sudden you've got – this is going to save money. This is, like you were saying, this could save $15,000 mm-hmm. a criminal inmate at, at a prison – all of a sudden, you have that much more money to put into prevention, that much more right. money to put into community support groups and and treat the problem. The problem could be criminal. Um, and, I, and I'm assuming as part of the legislation in the Criminal Justice Reform Act, the one that they're proposing in Utah, at least, you know, if, if somebody's dealing, that might be a little different. And if it's, an, you know, if they're organized in dealing, that would be different. That's correct. That's correct. So if you're if you're cooking up meth in your subdivision and, and peddling it to kids at the schoolyard, yeah. nothing is going to change for you here. What we're talking is about is people who, who have drugs for personal use, which if you've ever known someone who's struggled with an addiction, that can actually be a substantial amount of drugs. So mm-hmm. you, you, you could have a pretty, pretty serious stash and not be meaning to share it or sell it um, and just be desperately, desperately in need. Of treatment, and so I think I think the idea is just like you're saying. You sort of cut out this long process of putting people through the criminal justice system, and you just give them the treatment to stop the behavior, yeah. so they can put their lives back together, stop harming their families, stop harming their communities. Well, and I think just as a systems guy who uh, works a lot with kind of companies and organizations on their systems, just doing it different has yeah. got to create a different result. And our assumption is always it will be worse. But how can it be worse than the millions of people we're throwing in prison that aren't I, recovering or changing? I think that's exactly right. And so while I understand people may have this concern or that concern, um, it starts to feel like you're saying that essentially we don't need to change anything, that yeah. there's, 
that there's not currently a problem with people being sent to prison for low-level nonviolent offenses when they don't pose any public safety problems. I mean, we can pick at the details until we until we die of boredom, but the right. reality is what we're doing is not working. And you're exactly right. I mean, you can't, you just, eventually you have to try something different that, that, um, that will really, that will really help the practices change and result in a different outcome for people. Is it, um, are, are we, what's happening? I mean, are we evolving to this point now that fairly conservative communities are even getting it now? Is it just that our lives are being more impacted personally by it? Is it now that we see this isn't an inner city, you know, back east issue anymore? This is now entering the lives day in, day out of all of Americana. Well, I I think that's exactly right. And I think that members of the public, I think our lawmakers also, and um, people who are in public service are starting to see how these things overlap. You may know that the state of Utah has a really big commitment right now to unraveling intergenerational poverty, how people sort of get, get trapped in government assistance and programs year after year, and the kids don't do better than the parents. And there's there's an incarceration aspect to that. If you, you know, if you're a kid with an incarcerated parent, your chance of failing at high school, your chances of being incarcerated yourself go up. And so I think now that we've been doing this for several decades, we're starting to see how it's not about punishing a single individual. It's impacting generation after generation of families and communities in a really substantial way. And so I think people are starting to understand, oh, well, if we care about, if we care about people in Utah being healthy, if we care about people in Utah having strong families, if we care about people in Utah doing well, doing well financially and in terms of their education, they can't be tied up in the criminal justice system for low-level offenses that, like, just like you pointed out, they could be dealt with early on in a really simple, inexpensive, fair way. I love it. I really, I think it's, I think it's powerful, and I think I can imagine it on the national level, really almost em- empowering a lot of these communities that have been more oppressed by these these stricter drug laws. And I mean, I, I assume some cities will. I mean, it's going to be interesting. Now, all of a yeah. sudden, hopefully, we can still get the right resources to the right places. And I guess that's one of the downsides of this is because it's a new system. It's going to take some testing, some evaluation. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And luckily, Utah doesn't have to be the lab for it all. Yeah. You know, other states, other much more conservative states, but much more serious incarceration problems have have tried some of these interventions. South Carolina, all they wanted to do was slow the growth in their prison population. It was growing at 8% a year. They wanted to drop it to 6%. And after a couple of years implementing serious changes like Utah's looking at, um, their prison population was decreasing. And so we've we've had these things piloted in other states, and you know I don't think our state would do anything reckless with its communities right. or w- with people. So it's it's pretty tried and true. But you're right; we'll have to commit to it, and we'll have to really see it through for a little while. And I guess following on this will be mandatory sentencing. Is that I mean is that another area that you're fighting to against? Yes, definitely, and it's a much bigger problem on the national level and at the federal level. And like I said, senators like um, Mike Lee and people from, and he's working with Dick Durbin, a Democrat from Illinois. It's 
it's really a bipartisan effort to just make things make sense yeah. um, on that level. And Utah doesn't have the exact same problems with all the mandatory minimums that there are at the federal level, but this this legislation really is a good it's a good first step. Yeah. There are a lot of things that build up over time that. You know, we didn't build it in a day. We're not going to dismantle it in a day. We're going to have to pick apart some other issues that have metastasized over the last couple of decades. No, that's how you break a habit. Mm-hmm. For the system that's and exactly for the people, right? right? <laughs> that's exactly right. And people people mess up in treatment, and yeah. sometimes they have to go back. So if it if it's not perfect after a couple of years, we have to just keep giving it a shot and really right. see it through. Well, and I, I love it. I, I love that idea because you're not going to cure someone's habit by just keeping them away from their life they have to they have to cure the habit by dealing with their life by being in their world so that that they can start over exactly right that's exactly right and that's why community i mean it's not it's not pointless to do treatment in prison by any stretch it can really help people but you're absolutely right people need to they need to be changing their behavior in the actual environment where they're going to be living and that's that's what's most effective Well, Anna, we appreciate you. That's uh, great work. Thanks for fighting for it. Thanks, Matt. It was really fun to be on your program. You too. I'm sure we'll have you back for more more insight, more ideas. Anna Brower again from American Civil Liberties Union. She's a public policy advocate here in Utah for the ACLU. Interesting stuff, folks. Um, We're learning, right? Learning. How powerful can that be? Start changing people. Where they are, younger, earlier, earlier intervention. I think all of these things will be impacted by such legislation. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to go to the coach's corner. I've got some ideas on on maybe how we could make people a little bit more resilient. I think it'll tie into this nicely. Stick with us, friends. Uh, Talking about improving your life right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, you know, I, I used to be a, I still am, I guess, a, a coach, a relationship coach, a life coach, uh, would sit and coach people. And as I sit here and we do this show, there's so many topics that I think, oh, if I could just have them in my office for a few hours, I could help that person. I could help them. See... We try to raise kids that are resilient. Have you heard that term? That is one of the the big uh, areas of study, direction that a lot of researchers are taking and a lot of psychologists are taking. We want to build resiliency. Resiliency is defined as the power or ability to return to the original form, position, and uh, after being bent, compressed, or stretched. It is the ability to recover readily from illnesses, depressions, adversity, or the like. Buoyancy is another word that is used. Tell me resiliency is not the key to creating reform with our in our prison systems, for example. We have to create people that are resilient. We can just keep chalking it up to the idea that these people are messed up. But if we keep going at this rate, and everybody out there, I know you all in listener land have seen or had somebody dear to you, close to you, that got caught up into that drug 
war and got not even the war, got beat up by drugs, by addiction. And it could have started, as we were talking about with our earlier guest, Anna, could have started with a little ACL tear. They did a little surgery. Not a big deal. Get on the Oxycontin, and then all of a sudden they can't get off. And they're now addicted. Uh, They need more and more drugs. They go to a cheaper drug, heroin, a little cheaper there. Easier to get than Oxycontin. Not as regulated, right? And off we go. Or you may have a child that uh, is suffering from attention deficit disorder, ADD, ADHD, or the symptoms of ADD. And somewhere along the line, they tried a drug like methamphetamine, which had amazing results. And they didn't try it to fix their ADD, but they took it. And when they took it, they realized, man, I can focus. Woo! Life is so focused. And the next thing they know, they're addicted to methamphetamine. Meanwhile, on the other side of the valley or the other side of your city, the same kind of boy, the same age, was diagnosed with ADD and sent to a doctor where they were put on amphetamine, Adderall. And they're being treated. Now, one of them is seemingly more resilient, I guess, than the other because one is into illegal drugs and the other is into prescription drugs. And they might be getting virtually the exact same effect. Here's the dilemma we run into, folks. Resiliency of our children, of our families, of our friends, of our neighbors, it's, it's, it takes more than just, you know, disciplining them. There, you can discipline somebody with ADD all you want. Take a, a child that's suffering from ADD, ADHD, and you can keep disciplining them and putting them in timeouts, but you're not dealing with the issue. Just because you've disciplined somebody, put them in prison— does not mean you've dealt with the issue. And a huge percentage of these people that are in prison have mental health issues, Uh, anxieties, depressions, bipolar, borderline personality, some of these things. They have to be dealt with, my friends. And so as we get into this, and I want you just thinking of your family. You, You may not be able to influence everyone in the world, but think of your children, your grandchildren. Do you feel like your children are resilient? Do they have the power or the ability to return to their original healthy form or position after they've been bent, compressed, or stretched. You know, when life goes hard and they lose that job, are they able to resiliently come back? How about your spouse? When you hurt yourself physically and you're in a car accident, are you able to come back? So let me just give you a few tools for all of us out there in order to make sure that we're, we're becoming more resilient and we're pushing more resiliency instead of less resilient people. It's going to get not necessarily harder, folks, but you're going to have a lot of things now, a lot of information, a lot of stuff vying for your attention. Um, You know, life used to be a little slower. Life used to just be in your little hemisphere, your little area of life. Now you get to deal with, you know, Middle East issues and potential collapse of your electric grid and global warming and the like. So here's some tools to help you be more resilient. One rule, teach principles over practices. Okay, don't just keep focusing on outcomes, but instead start focusing on the principle behind it. There are reasons why people are um, doing drugs, and it's not just because they're bad, right? So if we get caught up in a practice, then all the people know is one practice, one method, but there are principles that need to be there. Principles that tend to bring um, better understanding, for example, it might make more sense that instead of just incarcerating people, we actually understand what is going on with this person. 
What if we could, in our court system, also have a psych type of an evaluation where we could figure out what specifically is going on with this person psychologically, mentally, physically, emotionally, along with the crimes they committed, and understand the deeper causes of what's going on? I'm a big believer that I want my kids to know certain principles. So instead of me just, you know, looking at their phones and constantly, uh, you know, eavesdropping and spying on what they're doing on their phone, I teach my children a principle called transparency. Like our, our earlier, we had that we had the great uh, FBI agent on that was with us, Todd Palmer. He said, "You've got to remember that it's not just enough to have a right. With every right you have, you have a responsibility." So with my children, you have a right to have a phone. Sure, I'll get you a phone. And there's a responsibility to it. One of the responsibilities is you can't be doing anything unethical, illegal, or immoral. I'm not going to allow it on my phone, on my dollar, when you're 15. So I teach that. That's the principle of responsibility. I teach the principle of transparency. Transparency simply means, Dad and Mom, we need to have access to your phones. By the way, in my world, I actually let my kids have access to my passwords. My kids know my passwords. Anybody that needs to can grab my phone and my family, and they can look through my phone. There aren't secrets there. And you know what? The interesting thing for me, that principle of uh, transparency with the practice that my kids can grab my phone anytime they want and look in it, that keeps me more honest. So one thing that might help our, our children more is not just teaching them a practice. Well, this is the way we do it, but teach them the principle behind it. Don't just teach them they have to practice three hours of piano a night. Teach them the principle behind it of hard work. Um, another idea is empower your kids with paradox. Paradox is one of my favorite topics. It's two ideas that seemingly contradict, right? That, but they actually go together. Hard work and it's the hardest thing you'll ever do and it's worth it. It pays off. And it may not pay off the way you think. And it might pay off in better ways than you could have ever imagined. Paradox are where we get caught up in thinking that things can't go together, like changing the, the um, criminal laws. We could change the criminal laws, and it could actually work out for the better of the entire community. And there will be some surprises we weren't thinking about. And we can handle those as well. Paradox allows all of these things to coexist. And if you notice, by just simply adding the word and, we can deal with people that are addicted to drugs and help them as much as we can and not have to send them, some of them to jail and still have to send others to jail. Paradox. The hardest decisions we have to make in our lives, the hardest things we go through in our lives, always end up having kind of a duality to them, Right. We love our, our government system. It's the best in the country, and it lets us down, and it's still run by people, and a lot of those people are incredible, and some of them are misfits. Paradox. Another just simple tool that I would suggest that we all do in order to become more resilient is we need to attune ourselves more to our emotions. Your feelings, your emotions are there to basically give you a heads up. Everybody feels something. And those feelings are there to help you. A lot of what these people are doing when they're having to go do drugs is they're trying to numb some of their emotions. What if we could tune all of us in to, uh, to sensing more and to feeling and understanding their emotions and their feelings better and teach everybody to start using their emotions to come up with better solutions? Instead of just reacting, we need better solutions, more focus on the emotions. Anyway, that's a beginning, friends, of more resilient people 
There's no one easy answer. I don't want to ever pretend like that's, there's just an easy fix. There's not. It's complex. It's paradoxical. It's hard and it's doable. We shouldn't give up just because we don't understand our options. Let's go figure out what options we do have. We'll take a break, uh, wrap up the second hour. When we come back, we're starting the third hour. We've got some great t- topics coming up in that third hour as well. Also, be going. we're going to be getting into... Uh, the BYU Sports Nation uh, guys and talking to them as well. Tons of interesting stuff next hour right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Six after the hour, hour number three. Welcome aboard. <laughs> Please store your stuff. We got a lot of work to do today. I feel like a captain of those the boats, the ships that are waiting to unload in the LA ports. Good to have you here, Terry. Get on board. We've got a lot of work today. We'll get you in about six weeks. We'll get you in we'll six weeks. Unload all your cargo. Just hold on. You're Captain Phillips. I'm Captain Phillips. All right. I was trying to think of that movie. What's that name? What's that name? Captain Phillips. Welcome aboard, friends. Uh, Great show. We have talked with FBI agents. We've talked with the ACLU about mandatory or not mandatory, but, uh, you know, some legislation to kind of soften some of the laws for drugs and drug usage so that people can get the help they need. We've talked about. um, I love how that one sort of raised some eyebrows in the building. Isn't that interesting? I was like, so ACLU, is that all right? Well, ACLU is working yeah. hard. All right. But, yeah, no, they, the, uh, you, you read what the polling is about, and it makes total sense. Yeah. Minor offenses, why are we throwing them in jail We're when not, we could get them help? Yeah, drug dealers need to be dealt with differently than just the average Joe that's out there with a problem, especially when you consider 30% of people with drug arrests also have mental health issues. Anyway, we've got that going on. A little bit later, we'll have Jenny Ogden, Dr. Jenny Ogden on the show. She's going to be talking about your wandering minds. Like, just like, do you ever just go to that happy place, that daydreaming happy place? Like, I always see you. You always kick right into it, Terry. Just what? like, like My happy off. place? Yeah. Like I'm off. off focused? Like, what's... And James and I look at each other like, what's going on with Terry? His eyes glazed over. What's wrong? And, and you actually are amazing because you can sleep with your eyes open. It's a talent. It's a skill. It's, <laughs> it's how I got through college. But just so you know, it's pretty creepy for the rest of us. <laughs> like, shut your eyes if you're going to sleep. Close your eyes. What, uh, what are some of the headlines we're working on? Apparently, spies hacked virtually every single cell phone now. No, they have or they, they can? They have and can and what? continue. Not this, mine. This according to Edward Snowden. Well, he would know. Snowden knows everything. With the help of the NSA, British intelligence broke into the world's leading manufacturer of SIM cards. Oh, wow. And stole millions of keys that encrypt cell phone communications. U.S. and British spies, they hacked into the company 
They, they, they make the card, SIM cards for AT&T, T-Mobile, Verizon, Sprint, hundreds of other wireless networks. With the encryption key in hand, the intelligence agencies gain the potential to secretly monitor a large portion of the world's cellular communications, huh. including both voice and data, without having to get a single warrant or tell a telephone company they were doing it. So they're not, they don't have to even go through the companies anymore. They just get the SIM card makers, and they find out, I guess, the codes and the to the SIM, SIM card. And the SIM card maker didn't even know. They hacked the SIM card maker. See, this is the life of the spy. That's what it is now, yeah. It's all computers. Man. Do you think that they could help me reset <laughs> some things on my phone that I can't, I can't remember my password? What we need is the NSA needs to be available with customer, customer to troubleshoot care your phone? to troubleshoot when you forget your password. Isn't that like the Apple Store? Yeah, but this is. They, they have an Apple genius to help you. Isn't that what more their yeah, job but rather the NSA than. Gen- well, but see, it just seems like the NSA, if they're going to. We could make it a win win. Okay. We'll give you access to our phones um, without even knowing it. But you have to be able to get the password that I set three years ago. And if you can go find that for me so that I can reset my phone. Isn't there a link where you hit forget password? They send you an email? Yeah. Yeah. You forgot your email? I forgot which email okay. I used. <laughs> See, that's why we're, we, as humans, we're all becoming so predictable because we, we, we're we jumping through the hoops that they want. So all of this information converges at two or three spots. And now the NSA is just catching it earlier before anybody yes. would have ever thought. Now they're getting beyond anywhere where they have to ask for yeah. permission to have access. They're just getting it and having access to your phone. Man, anyway. they're sneaky. Yeah. They're good sneaky at Sneaky spies. So don't, mm. don't do anything wrong, I guess. Yeah, that's, no. that's the only recourse you have Keep now. Keep your nose clean. That's what I tell James every day. Keep your nose clean, James. Chris Christie losing support as he is trying to Why? garner a – I think he still has his committee yeah. exploring I think there's like 20 GOPers that are trying to explore. No one wants to announce too early. It says uh, even the GOP is having a hard time backing Chris Christie these days. The New York Times spoke with the Republican Party advisor and donors – including friends and former supporters of Christie who say they are disappointed with the New Jersey governor's recent behavior, um, including not returning phone calls, not asking for support, being late to meetings. So he's not respecting Mm. the people that he's trying to impress, I guess, to get money from, but are turning to his rivals for the 2016 presidential nomination. He is a very popular figure, but he has made mistakes by not creating the necessary momentum for the kind of national organization you need to be successful. Says hmm. a hedge fund manager. But see, it kind of seems like he's got the chops to go in and change some stuff in government. And then he says here, he's not touching enough people. So you're not getting that influence. You're not getting that FaceTime because you think like I'm going to be sort yeah. of independent. I'm going to do this by myself. And they say it's a classic rookie mistake because you're not getting the party behind you. Unlike whereas, Joe Biden, who's <laughs> touching way too many people. Right. Whereas you see Hillary. Yeah. Going and meeting with key yeah. members of the Democratic Party as she's trying she's to build this base. She's building yeah. a coalition. It is. It's schmoozing. That's exactly what it is. See, I think that's the hard part of politics is you've got to schmooze. And schmoozing, I can only, I've only got about a half hour of schmooze in me a day. <laughs> and then you're done. Then I'm schmoozed out. I'm schmoozed out. And then you shut the door and sit in your office. Yeah. Speaking of schmoozing, do you know who needs some schmoozing help, I guess? Kelly Clarkson. Do you know who she is? I do. James, it's James's favorite singer, by the way, of all time. He loves the female empowerment anthem. Uh huh. Yes, yeah, that's his yes. song. He enjoys that. Oh, so uh, good. who's your other one? Uh, Michael Jackson. Wow! Wow! 
That's a great jump. Kelly Clarkson has two number one albums, three number one singles, eight top ten hits in 13 years since she was on Idol and was crowned the queen, queen of Idol. But apparently no one wants to work with her. No one. And I'm like, James would work with her. I was going to say, Kelly, if you're listening, which you probably are, I'll work with you. Hit me up. Just call me. She just says, you know, I'd honestly love to collaborate with a lot of people, but, you know, everyone usually says no. That's kind of rude. I wonder why. I would say yes. You would say yes. Yeah. You'd even say a creepy yes. (laughs) She says, I ask good people. I don't want to sing with, I'll change the word, bad people. So, I mean, I ask people who have great great vocalists, but I feel like I have the plague or leprosy. They're like, if you get too close, I don't know, she says. She's not popular enough, possibly. Maybe that's it. And maybe she's got maybe she's got such a strong voice and she's not as popular, but maybe some people wouldn't want to be with her to be outshined. Could it be that you're that good? There's that and there I mean what usually when they do the collaborations you're you're trying to both kind of lift each other. Yeah. Maybe you're you're showcasing a new talent type of thing or you're helping out your label or however the the business deals work. But uh yeah, maybe maybe she's just not popular enough to the right demographic That's it. that people want to market it well. She said, I got John Legend to say yes. He, he's cool. I can get country artists to sing with me and John Legend, but I guess she can't get anyone else. You know who she needs to try? Who's that? Chris Christie. Oh, right. He sings. He sings. And they, you know, he's struggling. He's popular. He needs some help. They need a comeback album. <laughs> he hasn't, he hasn't, has he done something? Christy I mean, Clarkson. A bridge too far? Is that what it should be labeled? No. <laughs> a bridge too far. A bridge to nowhere. The the turnpike. What was that? The the New Jersey yeah, bridge too far. I think that's a great combination. Again, we're not professionals in that industry. No. So we shouldn't be telling people what they we should want or not want. But that's why I said possibly and you know, stuff like that. Yeah. It, it is an issue though, because she, when she came out, she wasn't your prototypical pop princess right but see a lot of a lot of the american idols aren't right nope. david archuleta the, i mean she, some of these people they, they shine in their little area their niche but. she may need to auto-tune more maybe that's her problem oh that's it by the way i think we need to auto-tune more on the show we could we could do that i'll go ask management see if we can get some auto-tune okay, software and, maybe james look into that we can tweak the podcast later just kind of give it a test run because my voice in the morning it's a little rough modulated i want it to just be you know smoother <laughs> You're a little flat with a lot of the stuff that you say. You're you're a little flat. No, you're a little flat. Anyway. (laughs) One last story. Started a fight, yeah. Disneyland raising prices on tickets. What? Yes. It will now cost anyone over the age of 10 for a one-day ticket $99 to get into the Magic Kingdom. Is Putin involved? Possibly. It's it's something he would do. Allegedly. Allegedly, right. Is he allegedly involved? And uh, at, You can't raise prices. So it's $99 at Disneyland. At Disney World, it's up to 105 per person, wow. over 10. There you go. Plan, Sad. plan your vacations. <sighs> Sad. I mean, I was going to take my kids there. Now I can't. Sorry, kids. Sorry, kids. Now we're just going to stay home and... Clean the house. Just clean, clean the house. house. No vacation. Everyone cleans. Hmm. Well, stick with us, folks. We'll help you. If you can't go to Disneyland, just stick with us because maybe um, the key is going to be daydreaming. Daydreams are wonderful, aren't they? When we come back, Dr. Jenny Ogden is going to be joining us, and she's going to help us understand you know, the ups, the downs of a, a wandering mind. 
Is there a benefit to just allowing your mind to go on a little journey every day and how you can use that daydreaming experience to get better results in your life? This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back talking daydreams up next right here on the BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, uh, to the Matt Townsend Show. It's 20 after the hour. You know, daydreams are wonderful, aren't they? You can be enjoying the sunshine and warmth of the beach while waiting in a traffic jam or rocking out with your favorite band on your lunch break. Daydreams are great unless the teacher is calling on you to answer some kind of math problem or your boss is standing in front of you waiting for an intelligent response. For years, people have told each other to snap out of it and quit daydreaming But is it really such a bad thing? Well, Dr. Jenny Ogden has gathered information uh, to tell us more about how to let our minds wander and the benefits of letting our minds wander. Uh, Welcome, please, Dr. Jenny Ogden. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show, Jenny. Hello. It's nice to be here. (laughs) Great to have you. And you are a fellow of the Royal Society of New Zealand. Um, You also are a contributor to an article on psychology today that we we just loved um, about why our minds wander. Teach us. Why do our minds wander? Well, um, that's an interesting question, and I don't think we entirely know the answer, but we can, you know, we can muse about it a little bit. I mean, certainly our minds do wander about 50% of our waking hours. What percent? 30%? 50, 50%. Wow. Man. Yes. There's been a couple of studies. Uh, uh, Jonathan Schooler and his colleagues from the University of California at Santa Barbara, he asked students to read War and Peace, which is, you know, pretty, a pretty <laughs> yeah. tough read. But Big for read. 45, for 45 minutes, and every time they caught themselves zoning out, they had to press a button. And in that 45 minutes, they zoned out on an average of 5.4 times. And they were also interrupted six times at random intervals to see if they were zoning out without realizing it. And this caught them another 1.2 times. Huh. And, uh, and then another study used a smartphone application to contact 5,000 people from 83 countries at random moments through their waking hours and asked them what they were doing when they were interrupted. And in 46.7% of the samples, they were thinking about something else other than what they were supposed to be doing, nearly 50%. They were more likely to be wandered into pleasant thoughts rather than unpleasant thoughts. Uh-huh. Uh, although, you know, if you ask them, they said, well, they'd rather be doing the pleasant thing than just daydreaming about it. Yeah, right. I mean, in the end, it doesn't replace actually getting it done, going out to the beach and, and, and you know, swimming a bit, does it? No, no, it doesn't replace it. But, you know, if we do it up to 50% of our time, presumably there's a reason for it. I mean... You know, these things tend not to um, evolve, and yeah. there's a reason for them. So what what do you, I guess, suggest the reason is? I mean, it seems like historically, if your mind would wander too much, it would be to your demise. Yes, and and indeed, perhaps, perhaps it would. I mean, clearly, you know, we, if we really want to learn something, we've got to concentrate. Right. And it's probably a balance, you know, we've got to, we've got to focus, we've got to concentrate, and so on. But it may be very simply that the brain needs a rest and just like our body needs rest and if you're concentrating full on all the time the brain would become exhausted so it needs this you know zoning out so yeah it's just kind of downtime 
yeah, downtime, and, and that it might be as simple as that, or perhaps in that downtime, it processes some of the information, as as indeed the brain does while we're actually asleep, which is a different sort of downtime. But does, um, does it impact creativity? Yeah. It seems like um, somebody that 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 may have more uh, daydreaming, they might be more creative. They might be, you know, opening up other channels as they're thinking one thing but doing another. Well, I think that's absolutely the, the, how it is, and that's the, those are the more enticing theories about why we have this time time out and zoning out. And in fact, it's just it's not really time out because you know about up until um, around about two thousand, neuroscientists used to think that the brain, when it was offline, you know, when it was resting, and it had a different sort of electrical um, activity while it was resting, they thought that was just you know downtime really yeah, and right. they could subtract that from the activity in the brain when they're actually concentrated and doing stuff huh. but but they've now discovered that you put a brain in a imaging you know in a, one of these many fancy scanners we have these days and what how we decide whether the brain's actually active is the blood flow to different bits of the brain because we assume that if the blood's flowing more to one bit of the brain than the other that's the bit that's active yeah. and they find that when we're not concentrating and thinking, we're just lying there with our eyes closed, that in fact um, the, the blood to the brain is hardly any less than when we're concentrating. Hmm. And the regions that are active are in fact even, even broader. And this has now been called the, the default mode network. And um, as it clearly has a, a, an important um, you know, function in the mind. And like you say, I think one of those functions... It's creativity. And, yeah, you know, we all know it, don't Well, I know it. You wander along the beach, you know, you know, and your mind's wandering off and here and there and everywhere, and you might come up with all sorts of creative right. ideas. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and I think that that, in, in that study um, where they, uh, that I talked about before, where the students were reading War and Peace and zoned out, they then tested them all on a range of creative tasks and found that the ones who zoned out the most were, were did better on those creative. Oh, really? Tests. Yeah, I so mean, there's it, a good reason. Yeah, to tell a teacher why you're just daydreaming. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just daydreaming because I'm trying to stay more productive for you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it really is. Uh, it's it's interesting because it seems like. Um, the mind is such a complicated thing anyway, and we're barely just starting. Like you mentioned, the scanners we're starting to use. But th- this is all very new research, right, where we're now actually watching the blood flow in the brain during these times. And I mean, we're gathering new data that I think is going to give us so much new information. Yes. Well, certainly in these sorts of areas it does. Um, as you said, it's all more and more very sophisticated ways of looking at the brain in action, mm-hmm. although if you're looking at very specific tasks, they're still pretty primitive um, in that they can only look at very, uh, you know, small tasks like, you know, doing a particular math uh, test or something like that. I mean, yeah. we still need a lot of, you know, I'm actually a neuropsychologist, so I'm a little biased, yeah. but we still need a lot of those long, complicated assessments and tests and talking to people and work, to work out really what's going on in the brain. But certainly these, these new amazing imaging techniques are showing us that, you know, that brain, that brain's pretty um, online even when it's offline. Yeah, it, it's almost like it doesn't really shut down until I guess we're no. sleeping. 
Well, but even no, then, I guess it's cleaning house, isn't it? It's just reorganizing. I, I imagine so. Certainly, we know we can't do it without sleep. I mean, sleep, dreaming while we're asleep is a sort of, um, you know, a zoning out or mind wandering. It's the, yeah. the latest term for it. And uh, when we mind wander and sleep, of course, we have very little control over that. And most of our dreams, when we're, which we, we usually dream about 1.5 hours a night. Hmm. And, and during REM sleep, you know, about, about every 90 minutes we have a little piece of time when we've got this rapid eye movement sleep and we get to have a nice dream or a bad dream, depending. Yeah. And, and those dreams are completely random. And, and in the morning we can't remember them. <clears throat> and um, we don't really know why that is. We, we don't know why, why but some do remember more, and we don't know why that is either, huh? Well, that's probably true. And it may be, um, I mean, certainly if you're woken up, right in the middle of a dream, you remember it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. But you do forget it pretty fast. But if you write it down and think about it, that's probably what you're remembering rather than the actual dream itself, I That's true. Yes. Do you sense in our day and age where we seem to have so many more interruptions, is that impacting the daydreaming? Because it's almost like we have to process so many other different bits of data and interruptions and distractions and all of these other things my brain might want to daydream more. I think so. I mean, it, I mean, I'm getting on. So yeah. <laughs> and when I see all these young people constantly with their thumbs moving on their phones, yeah, <laughs> makes me feel tired just watching them. I mean, <laughs> they they probably have, whether they are so good at this that they can zone out while they're doing that or not. I don't know. I mean, obviously, the smartphone business suggested you can zone out even when you're doing your you you know Twitter and your right. email and so on and so forth, but I think so. I mean, I've always believed that this business, you know, with people with with school kids, the, the kids are doing so much stuff after school. Their mothers are driving them to gyms and ballets yeah. and and. You know, I think we should go back to the olden days myself. (laughs) When kids have a few days off and they get to just play creatively outside and, you know, like little kids when they play, they, um, you know, they mind wander a great deal, actually. Sure. Because because one of the sorts of mind wanderings is um, called theory of mind. And not only can we humans mind wander and you know think randomly of nice things and think about into the past and into the future which is pretty amazing when you think about it like time traveling right mentally time traveling um we can also read other people's minds humans mm-hmm. can read other people's minds well we can't really read other people's minds but we we thought when we we can sort of um get inside their minds and we know to some extent, what they might be thinking and feeling at any particular time. Yeah, and kind of and read because, it. Yeah. Yeah, you don't actually read it, but, you but you know, if we didn't have that, think what it would be like. We would have very poor communication, very poor empathy. Yeah. So our ability to wander into other people's minds um, is a very, very human um, skill, I think. Almost a gift. Isn't it? We're talking with Dr. Jenny Ogden, um, who is a psychology uh, professor, also wrote in in an article that we loved on psychology today, Why Our Minds Wander. She's she's teaching us some insights into how to better manage this. When we come back, she'll give us some tools in how to manage it and regulate our mind wandering a little bit so that we can take it to our advantage. Good stuff. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. You're listening to us on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, we are discussing an interesting article that we saw in Psychology Today called The Wandering Mind. It was uh, written by Dr. Jenny Ogden, and um, she's teaching us about daydreaming. Uh, there are some benefits to it, folks. Only about 50% of the time, or 50% of the time, your mind is wandering from probably your current topic, your current task. And uh, we've been asking um, a lot of questions to Jenny Ogden. You can find out more information um, about Jenny on her website, JennyOgden.com. Jenny, G-E-N-N-I, Ogden.com. Jenny Ogden.com. Um, wonderful researcher, clinical uh you know, clinical worker also does therapy and rehabilitation as well. Uh, Jenny, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. That's nice to be back. My name's actually spelled with a J rather than a G. Oh, did I say G? I'm sorry, it is J. I'm reading it J. It's a. G. I've got it all right. Well, I must have just said G. Me listening to your accent, yeah. you may have said J. <laughs> J E N N I, but it's spelled with an I, not a Y. It it's, is. It's fairly it? typical here. Hey, uh, talk to us, Jenny, about. Um, what are we supposed to do? I mean, I guess, do we want to try to engage more um, wandering of our mind, or does it just do it naturally so we don't actually need to worry about it? We just maybe need to control it so it doesn't get out of hand? Well, I, I, either of those things you could do. I mean, I think, uh, I mean, sometimes mind wandering can be very negative and intrusive, and that's, you don't really want to have too much of that. You know, we've got something, I mean, we're worrying, you can't get your mind off it. And... Um, um, some therapists have suggested if these people have these, you know, these constant thoughts about something that they don't want to think about, that they put aside, say, 15 minutes every day, mm. perhaps early evening, and that's the time that they have to worry. And they just worry for 15 minutes. Yeah, make and the time quite, to do it. And that's yeah, smart, because then you're going to at least, you might exhaust it. That's right. And that's the point, I think, because, you know, you you. you Taking that worrying out of the time-wandering phase and you're sticking it into the concentration, concentrated part, right? Yeah. So you're worrying away for 15 minutes. And sometimes it's quite hard to worry for 15 minutes. <laughs> and at the end of that time, you, can, you stop worrying. And then, of course, if it's early evening, you definitely don't do it just before you go to bed. Right. You then do all of the, 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 the nice things you should do before you go to bed. So if you're really having nasty sorts of um, mind wanderings, then you don't want to have them, and you need to try and perhaps think about ways to do that. But the other sorts of mind wanderings, you know, I'd, for a start, I think we should stop feeling guilty about them. Right. Because clearly, we all do it. You know? Now, when it, it, obviously, it's important when you're in a lecture or so on and so forth to get sort of most of what the lecture is trying to teach you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and of course, lecturers always told, well, these students can't concentrate for more than about 20 minutes at a time, whatever. But I guess you've just got to try and, um, you know, do all the usual things to keep you awake, whatever, and concentrate and try and focus there. If you, if you when you get out of there, you think you can have a bit of a mind wander, then that might help that. Um, but I think we need to start thinking of the good things about mind wandering. And one of them, in fact, in your break, there was, uh, you were talking about, well, they were talking about someone who's coming on and talking about the wonderfulness of storytelling. Mm -hmm. And, of course, when we're, you know, if you tell stories, if you make up stories, whatever, uh, that's when the ideas come to you, when you're allowing your mind to freely roam around and uh, uh, think about plots and, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. So that's a, 
a good way. To Our children are so women. good at that, aren't they? I mean, it's like it, with the mind wandering and the and the kind of the playing and and role playing and storytelling, it all kind of goes so hand in hand. And in a way, we've almost kind of corrected them out of that. I know it's it's a shame. Little kids, for example, they read each other's minds all the time. They imagine they've got friends that they you know play yeah. with. Oh yeah, imaginary you know, friends. They have imaginary friends. And, that, you know, there are other ways that elderly people, you know, the older you get, the more you tend to people say that she's in the past, uh-huh. you know. And she's time-traveling back to the past, wandering in the past. And, of course, if you've got early dementia, you like to do this much more because your memory, you have a problem with your recent memory, so you're going to be living in the past. Well, with those sorts of people, why not? Sure, you know, go enjoy that. Happy. Yeah. Yeah, enjoying it. And, and encourage it. Sh- show them photos. Uh, you know, give them you know old photos, videos. You know, mementos. Let them wander in the past. Let them enjoy that. I mean, if mind wandering is pleasurable, make the most of it. It seems to me. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I guess if you're not, you, you know, you probably shouldn't be walking on the railroad tracks. And, no. and but but other than the other than your life being in jeopardy or you know you missing a, a magical moment with with another person, um, there there seems to be a lot of great benefits to and, and even sharing these ideas and these stories with kids with grandchildren. Oh, I think oh, absolutely. I mean, that's how humans actually learn as they share stories. Yeah, that's part of our evolution. If we didn't have stories, we would not be humans. So true. Um, and in, and also stories and mind wandering. Our ability to mind wander back to the past and into the future, um, time traveling is probably pretty human as well. And that gives us that continuity, that of self, yeah. that allows us to realize who we are. Because if we didn't have the past and we didn't have the future and could wander into those places, we would just be living in the moment. People with no memory. Patients of mine who have no memory can't mind wander, and they don't have any sense of time, mm. and they live right in the moment. It's such a it's such a tragedy. This idea that you lose uh, not being able to have a past, you lose all context to life. Jenny, we so appreciate you. We we've got to take a break here, but everybody, go check out Jenny's website, jennyogden.com. J e n n i ogden.com. Great, great insight. And as well, you can go to Psychology Today and find that article, Why Our Minds Wander. Very, very insightful. Boy, all of us, we should be telling more stories, understanding ourselves even better. And maybe, hey, take a break and just go wander in your mind for a bit. Speaking of wandering, we're going to take a break, come back. When we come back, we're going to go visit our friends down at BYU Sports Nation, down in Studio B. And... uh pick their brains about upcoming their upcoming show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, we're going to go to uh, Studio B where our good buddies are hanging out. Uh, Spencer and Jeremy are down there hanging out on the BYU Sports Nation set. Hello, gentlemen. Happy Monday, Matthew. How are uh, you? With it. It's Monday. Mon- is. Mondays, are, Mondays are hard days, unless you were able to celebrate the Academy Awards last night. Are you big into the Oscars? Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. But I did like some of the storylines, like John Travolta. Uh, he was weird. 
Yeah, he. he I don't want to be rude, but he was true to form. Like he kept touching yeah. Idina Menzel's face, and I was like, uh-huh. "Dude, stop yeah. touching her face!" I mean, again, I thought we weren't allowed to do that. Good grief! That's what HR has been telling people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not allowed to do that, folks. HR doesn't apply to John Travolta. Apparently, apparently. nothing applies to John Travolta. No. And then, uh, what did you think of Lady Gaga? I thought she was outstanding. We actually I, had I a discussion about this. She salvaged. Don't you think the entire night? She to did. Be quite honest with you. And then Julie Andrews coming out and being like, "That was awesome," validating it. And I just, yeah. I want to see more of Lady Gaga in that. Genre of music. Yes. Yeah. She's super talented, and she's kind of hidden that part uh, from the rest of us. And last night it was like, whoa, what? you got that angle to your game. I didn't know that's what she looks like. Classically trained. She no, just seriously, got engaged. That was the biggest thing. Like... It's like you don't, you don't look like you're on the fringes of society. Right. You look like I can, I can hang with that a little easier. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was yeah. cool. So do you guys just like grab popcorn and then you know dress up like movie stars? Is that what you guys do? I dressed like Lady Gaga to watch it, so it was a little awkward when oh. she wasn't dressed in the norm, you know? I would pay to see that. Oh, my goodness. The closest thing I've ever had to like the Oscars or the red carpet performance was called the green carpet and was before the BNP Paribas Tennis uh, Tournament wow. in Southern California. Uh, and it, it's just like major tennis stars. Uh, so what did you wear? Like, what did you wear on the green carpet? I had to wear, you know, a tuxedo. It was formal. Hot. So, but I, I don't know. It's, it's nothing. You know, and that was about as much as I could take. That, and that, see, then you burned out. Yeah, just that's not my scene, man. And then Neil Patrick Harris. I mean, I, I probably dressed more like he did. Uh, it, uh, there was one scene where In he Bird just was, he was underdressed. <laughs> That's kind of what I looked like watching the Oscars right there. Un- yeah, un- <laughs> but I had a hat. Unfortunately, on. there are windows to the BYU radio studio, so yeah. sometimes we see that similar attire. Yeah, I'm sorry, I just shouldn't have gone there. HR. Speaking of, <laughs> speaking HR. of HR, oh boy. <laughs> anyway, this is great. This is my last show, guys. My last show. Hey, what a run you had, man! Well, it was two great. Weeks, one you day. know what was? Yeah, it's like I think we had 11 shows. That was pretty good. <laughs> Of all the three-hour live shows on BYU Radio's history. Yeah, I mean, 15 hours there. of live content. Hey, uh, talk about what you're going to be discussing today. A little bit of uh, Utah? That's right. BYU-Utah. More clamoring mm. for the Utes and Cougars. Our discussion today will be how much do BYU fans really value that game now that there's been an increase yes. in scheduling ability as BYU has uh, gone out and gotten games with Michigan State and LSU and Missouri you know, so where where do the Utes rank in the in the priority of football scheduling in the future? The tweets we received will surprise you unless you guess the right thing, and then they won't surprise you at all. But see, I think the deal is you'd want more Michigans. Well, I think that that is what the trend is now becoming. Is okay. well, if we can schedule these teams, how much do we really want to play BYU? We don't need Utah. no Utah. Yeah. Interesting. I want to play Utah, but at the cost of, say, other schools like mm-hmm. USC and Washington and yeah, Wisconsin, no. that's the question yeah. we'll focus on. And again, unless you can win, you got to go win. That's and that's an interesting thing. BYU's lost four in a row to Utah. So yeah. what's what's the uh, you know huge draw for BYU fans? Like, well, we've been losing anyways. It's like well, and then Utah on the other side, like, we've won four in a row. What's the draw for us? Right. Mm. So it's it's a weird spot because this used to be a thing. They're not in the same conference, so there's uh, what's at stake is not as high. Right. It's, right. It's an interesting spot to be oh, for BYU see. right now. And there's two things. One is playing the game, and yeah. one is scheduling. Uh-huh. Scheduling is a game in and of itself just to get the games for BYU. And then it's just the fun of getting free tickets because you guys work on the staff. <laughs> yeah. 
That is a perk. That is a perk. Sounds Lady Gaga nice. will. You give me tickets? I, I think we're requesting Lady Gaga to sing the national anthem at the next BYU Utah game. Yeah. Now that, it's now Stadium that, of Fire. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> at that point, BYU might as well play on Sunday. That'd be excellent. I'd pay to see that. You guys are the best. Love your show. Keep it up. All right, Matt. Thanks. Hey, and uh, keep watching the Oscars. I mean, you we'll know, do that. We will do that. Keep you know broad, broad mind. Thanks, you guys. Uh, wow, that's fun. I didn't know they were such Oscar fans. That's cool. That's really cool. Terry's looking at me like... It's the Oscars. It's still the Oscars. It's now over. TV can now resume. But I, I, again, I'm glad they saw the Travolta. That was weird. Again, that just freaked me out. And it was it was with Johansson, too. Scarlett Johansson as well. You know, you don't... Yes. You, you can't do that. You can't just... See, but this is important because... See, and, and <laughs> Scarlett Johansson is trained. She's the Black Widow. Oh, she right? should have... She should have... Busting a move on him. She works for Shield. He could he could just take Travolta out, but he just walks up behind her and yeah. I don't know. Inappropriate <laughs> HR violation right there. That's right. I'm calling HR. Hey, um, as we wrap up the show, what what's some of the headlines we got to catch up on? Are there any critical things we must critical worry about things. before we end this great show? Ooh, this one I found. Volvo looking for volunteers for what? Crash dummies. They have a 2016. They're they're going to open up some consumer testing of a driverless car. Hmm. So they have they have a test course in Germany. You need 100 customers. They live in a certain geographic area. They travel a certain freeway. You know, in this metropolitan area, so they can test the car near their home base. And so, really, they are looking for test dummies. Yeah, they need people to sit in a car and just sit there. And wait to die. And then talk about their experience and, you know, document. So, they, yeah, basically, I guess. Does if this car have off a the steering road, wheel? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I didn't get any details that way. But uh, they it is a dr- self-driving car, and they need humans to sit in it so they can test it. Wow. Why? I mean, it seems like it'd be a, a safer test to just not put a human in it. Yeah, if they just put crash dummies the, in the, so, po- the point is, is to have human... There, there's some human interaction mm-hmm. to get it started and then yeah. to stop it, but the sure. process in between hmm. and all the interaction, does it work? Is it ergonomically feng shui enough? I think, I think that's – yeah. I think, I think we're in trouble because the minute we no longer are just – we don't care who drives our car or how we get somewhere. We've lost a part of, I think, America. That is – Driving? You've got to have a car. You gotta have a. You gotta would it, have. Would that. it cut down on how dangerous driving cars can be? Probably. If you have a computer who's looking at blind spots yeah. and who's paying attention, yeah. whereas we're listening to the radio or texting or you know. I like that idea. Making a, lot a phone more, call that our our cars are able to slow us down when it predicts that traffic is slowing. I think and, that may be where the industry goes to. It's more yeah. of a sensor based mm-hmm. technology rather than a computer driving the car for you. Couldn't you just put gives a you a awareness and alarms, big and cushiony ball around every car? You could do that too. And we just kind of bump into each other. We just kind of bounce. Yeah, we like bounce, a ball bounce all to the work. Way. Yeah. Right. I think that's not a bad. And then you just deflate it to get to your parking space. <laughs> and then you get into the wreck as you pull into the parking spot. Now, you I'm, don't know how to drive anymore. Again, I'm thinking that because my mom bought a bed that you have to inflate, and right. I spent all night inflating. The You're bed. a 45. You said I'm a 45. So yeah. you could, if you could have a sleep bed, sleep number bed, you could have a sleep number car. How long do you brush your teeth? The entire 
event of brushing your teeth, how long does that take? Well, I just take mine out and soak them. Your teeth, okay. No, I brush two, two minutes because I learned that with my son's Power Ranger toothbrush that we're supposed to go two minutes on the brush, right? Yes. Am I off the board there? Well, your computer was on, but no. Yeah. Now that's off. Yes, two minutes. two minutes is what they are recommending. Now, I don't do that because I don't have a Power Ranger brush. But when my son's in the room, I will brush as long as he does. I set my phone down on a two-minute timer, and my kid sits there and watches it. And he watches it until it goes, you know, that's how long we brush his teeth. That's smart. He hates brushing his teeth. Oh, yeah. It takes so long for him. In his mind, it's well, just Well, two minutes in a child's time. mind is eternity. Uh, let's see. Oral-B. Their new product called the Pro 7000 Smart Series Electric Toothbrush uses Bluetooth connections with your smartphone. Uh-huh. It'll in the app they provide it has a timer and it keeps some stats on like how what the how what's the pressure you're using with the Too toothbrush. Too much pressure, right? And uh, to kind of give you some statistics and read out about your brushing performance, it also gives you a app so you can look at the news. And you can wow. look at the weather as you're – not like you don't have five of those on your phone anyways, yeah. but now you can have another one that's also connected to your toothbrush. Uh, you know what? It's too much. Do we need that? It's Is all that... too much. Don't you feel like it's it's just all too much? I don't need my toothbrush connected to my phone. And then the last thing I need is my toothbrush, like, complaining. Oh, is that all you got? Yeah, it'll give you some sort of notification you that me? you're not very good at brushing yeah. your teeth. Loser! <laughs> you didn't even get the left side. I mean, I guess that helps, but come on. It's brushing your teeth. It's brushing your teeth. And again, I don't want negative feedback all day. My fridge, we are empty. Fridge needs more food. Talk to toothbrush. We are both mad. <laughs> now you got everybody against you? The the one that I read about was at the, what, a tea kettle? Oh, boy, yeah. When it comes to boil, it'll send you a text message. Oh, boy. Because you're, I'm you're, in, the other, over here. you're, you're in the other room, I'm and it's boiling. just too much to pay attention to something cooking hey, on the stove. Hey, so. idiot, I'm boiling over here. Yeah. That's so sad. It's just there, there's certain things that doesn't really make sense. I, I understand the, the idea of tossing all the ideas out there yeah. and seeing what happens, but uh, some of these ideas, it just, I well, don't know. Let's say the person that has it all. You're going to get te- so many messages Every second, yes. toilet is overflowing. Right. Toilet is All overflowing. All your appliances will come at you at the same time with a message or <laughs> notification or something. This is – see, this – this is the very thing Bill Gates was worried about, where we are going to be taken over by our devices mm-hmm. until we are driven crazy. And to go full circle on the show, then we do drugs and we get sentenced to prison. Right. Wow. And in prison, you're going to have to brush your teeth. Without any electronic devices, and you won't even know how to do it. And then because you're a minor offender, they're going to put you in there with a major offender, Uh and then the FBI will try to get you to turn informant. There's the whole show. And there's the entire show. And your only recourse is (laughs) mind-wandering. This is daydreaming. That is three hours of the show in one nutshell, right there. Then you can just daydream. It's on the podcast if you have any questions. And you just sit there quivering in your cell, holding your... Holding your... Toothbrush. And the toothbrush? And it doesn't even talk to you. The price is like between two fifty and three hundred dollars for a toothbrush. Are you kidding? Holy smokes. Yeah, so. You can get new teeth for that. I know. It's crazy. Oh well. That's the show, my friends. We took you on a tour, as we are prone to do. We like to review the entire show in one crazy scenario. 
Thanks for joining us. You know, we couldn't do the show without you. So please come back tomorrow. More ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world. Don't give up, my friends. There is a lot of good out there. And uh, the good thing is you're the one that can go find it and be it. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio.